idiot. Minyas of David, ya prores enthusiast, ya Shotlandians, ya studiens. Part de Var. <laughs> yes, indeed. Or uh, episode 25 of the Purpur podcast, as it I is in English. 25. I don't, I don't <laughs> you, you do know two, but you don't know. So you're halfway there. You've got one of the digits. Yeah. Is 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 there a Soviet version of The Boys Are Back in Town by Thin Lizzy that we can... Uh... Surely the Leningrad Cowboys have covered it at some point. Yes. Yes. Although they're not actually Russian, but you know. No, 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 no. But you, I mean, you'd 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 think so. Just that, obviously, uh, for, well, dear listeners, I'm back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is, yes. Uh, yeah, Daniel is back on the yeah. podcast, as you may hear from his dulcet tones. Yeah. Daniel Baker, I thought you guys broke up. That's what we wanted you to be. Oh my God! Yeah, it's it's good, 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 good to have you back, man, and uh, good to be talking about more of the Soviet shooters in uh, in Puro, the uh, Triple C, Triple P, which I'm really regretting not calling all red everything, but we are. Yes. <laughs> well, I I just like to uh, apologise to the loyal listeners, uh, of course, because you know, a lot of people follow us, you know, for, as a collect for, for the collective joy of us three together. Um, uh, but you know, let's face it. Just like uh, when Cristiano Ronaldo moves clubs, uh, or Lionel Messi moves clubs, there is a huge amount of the frothing rabid fan base that are here just for me. Um, so I, 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 I disappointed them terribly by being um, very off-brand by not appearing on the very on-brand Soviet shooters. <laughs> but in my defence, as, as you know, as has already been explained, but just, just for the, the listeners listening to this now, five months later, um, I, I have to proclaim that I was uh, on the uh, the first episode originally, but we we, we managed to, uh, to 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 mess up the the, the recording or, or lose the file, and, and that meant that we had to do it again. And I am just so goddamn funny off the cuff, uh, <laughs> and so fleet of intellectual foot that I thought it would be a disgrace for me to rehash uh, all that material. And so um, I, uh, I I took the episode off instead. But I'm back and, and raring to go. I would just like to take this opportunity to say I have been a Juventus fan since like the age of five. Thanks for oh, yeah. And you don't know how fucking delighted I am that Cristiano Ronaldo has left. Thank <laughs> yes. fuck. Get to fuck. Yeah. I, I like I like the implication that like there are some of our fan base who are you know like the K-pop stands who have like like one member of BTS that they really go wild for. I'd love to think that there's like well I don't care for the other two but like David Forrest that, like, he is my jam. Oh, it, we, we, we should I, perhaps do, we should perhaps do a sort of fan convention that will undoubtedly end up like that episode from the uh, the last series of Inside Number Nine with the uh, crazed super fan. Uh, I, I, I thought you were going to say like Minoru, I thought we were going to say like Minoru Suzuki at What Culture Pro Wrestling. Oh, that also, which is very much the equivalent of being locked in a, a, of someone with uh, you know immense talent like us uh, being locked in a hotel room against their will. <laughs> yeah, only with like two thousand of them. I, I would say <laughs> people go coffee for company. If, if you if people might be doubting our sheer like the penetration that we made into the social consciousness, but oh, yeah. it, it is true that every single time I go to away to a festival away game or go into the Woody, someone will ask me, "Are you the podcast?" I only never never pronounce it correctly because we can't pronounce it correctly when we're sober. <laughs> never mind when you've been drinking cans in the train to Inverness. And they always pronounce it differently, but they never listen. They don't listen, but they they, they know who we are. We we've permeated the bubble. That's yes. what we've done. <laughs> Every uh, week. And in, in 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 more shocking news, actually, um, I I I I've i permeated a bubble outside of the city of Newcastle because uh, two thirds of our esteemed podcast had the rare opportunity to to meet up. It's been a long time since the whole COVID thing. 
But I took a trip up to Glasgow to see some friends. And uh, 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 David, it's fair to say, caught me. Uh, um, well, uh, when when we'd both seen better days that day, I think it's fair to say, for different <laughs> yeah. reasons. M- myself, because I'd been uh, I had to see a man about a Republican book in the East End. Um, uh, you know, uh, so I, after a visit to uh, a, a, a bookshop there. Um, I then decided uh, to uh, take in the, the local sights and sound of the East End uh, and uh, go for a couple of pints in the Brazen Head um, <laughs> before, uh, before, before Celtic uh, uh, played. Um, I was going to keep a lid in it, but I, I walked in and uh, the band was already playing Come Out Your Black and Tans at 1.30. <laughs> uh, so I thought, why not have a pint of Guinness? Hey, £3.70. Not bad, that, for Glasgow prices. As soon as I went to Edinburgh like, yeah, on Friday and paid £6.10 for a pint of Heineken. Ooh, and I, I mean, said, what is, what is your cheapest pint? And he went, Heineken. I was like, fucking hell, OK. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. But no, me, me, me and David managed to meet up. But uh, I mean, I was sort of uh, uh, rain sodden in, in a sort of desultory outside um, impromptu tenting area that a local hostelry had assembled. for. Uh, it was a very rainy weekend. And me and my friend Tim were trying our best to uh, uh, keep our spirits up, uh, but then we—I heard the news that uh, business was about to pick up uh, <laughs> because um, uh, 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 a, a little message on my phone popped up to alert me that David, who I was aware was uh, on the uh, uh, away day uh, to watch Partick against Arbroath, uh, I, I, I was told that things were not going swimmingly. Uh, uh, David, oh. uh, w- what happened? So one of us, our car broke down and it had to be towed. Um, home from our bro, which is a, like a two hours, 20 minute journey in a tow truck with a man just not speaking. Um, so that was that was fun. And one of us got arrested in very, very, very odd circumstances that are far too convoluted to get into on this. But essentially, uh, the Far Hill one himself, Manpreet, was arrested um, by the police in quite salacious scenes, shall we say, um, by the Arbroath Constabulary. Um, I had to go for a shit in a football toilet for the first time in at least two decades, <laughs> and I will say it was horrifying. Let's never do that again. Two decades is more. It's perfectly fine enough wait for me. And it rained. Uh, someone brought their baby, which I wanted to phone the social because I think that's child abuse, taking yeah, yeah. your wind to our away. Um, and then we get beat 3-1 by our And it was uh, unedifying. But I got my fish. I literally turned up to Daniel with a giant fish in my pocket. Yeah. Uh, vacuum packed. Um, and yeah, it was it was great fun. We had quite a few pints. We went to uh, on brand for us. Um, it could be one of two. It's either going to be a really communist pub or a really wrestling pub. It was indeed the luchador that we. In- it was quite funny. Oh, we didn't nice. even intend to go, and it was uh, your friend Claire. Which is yes. oh, we'll go to this pub. It's called the luchador, and we both were just like, <gasps> yeah, like it's like a gog. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Hello, or Privet, as I should say, seeing as it is the, the Soviet episode. Um, it's David um, from the future. Welcome to the world of tomorrow, etc., etc. Just a, little, a wee update, just to let you know that we recorded this in August. Yes, it's literally August 2021 is when we recorded this episode. And you may have noticed that me and Daniel uh, just mentioned a pub called The Luchador. Well, there's been some developments with The Luchador, so... 
On the 7th of January, um, Glasgow Live posted an article about how 70% of the workers in the McMerry 300, an abandoned ship limited company, filed a collective grievance against the company who own many bars around Glasgow, including the Luchador. They say that they were subjected to various forms of mistreatment and the failure to adhere to the most basic legal obligations of duty of care towards staff. Um, they run various bars around Glasgow, including Abandoned Ship, Fly South, The Bull and, of course, The Luchador. It says here that the issues have been there for quite a long time, so would have been there at the time of when we went, which obviously we didn't know about and, you know, if we had known about, would have told them to go fuck themselves. But as well as that, they've neglected to inform staff about potential post-COVID contacts and failed to close venues. Um, during outbreaks, as well as health code violations in kitchens across the company. Staff claim they were forced to keep working while sick or face disciplinary action, as well as issues involving pay, employees not being paid for sick and holiday pay, not being paid in time, pension contributions being deducted, all that, um, but not being paid. Unite Hospitality says 70% of all workers across 13 bars in Glasgow and Dundee, including the Luchador, Abandoned Ship, Burden Bear, Draffins, The Bull, Flyself and Franks, have submitted a shocking collective grievance outlining systematic mistreatment to the owners of McMerry 300 and Abandoned Ship Limited. As well as investigation and resolution, workers have called for Unite to be recognised for collective bargaining to ensure this doesn't happen again. Obviously, complete solidarity with the workers and the union in their battle to get what they deserve and change what's going on at the companies and fuck the luchador, fuck abandoned ship and fuck any of the 13 pubs which are included in this. Go find a better pub. If you want to find out more information about this, I would definitely suggest um, looking at Unite Hospitality. Um, their Twitter is at Fair Hospitality. They're doing lots of great things for people who are um, uh, working in bars, restaurants, even places like casinos and stuff like that. It's general hospitality service. They're doing amazing stuff. They're doing lots of stuff against Brewdog, doing petitions and stuff like that. Absolutely, say, if you work in a bar or a restaurant or a hotel, catering, cafes, casinos, all that, check them out and join your union. Like, the, the, the funniest part about that was that I'm not even sure if Claire is like, I mean, I think like, like she knows that I like wrestling, but I don't know if she's like specifically aware that I'm as into wrestling as this. So that was, uh, that was heaven sent really. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's fair to say by that, by that point in the day, uh, our best hours are behind us, but we, uh, we, we, we did our best. We did our best. Uh, I, I had a very intense um, encounter after you left. So basically what happened was that, um, it, it shut at 12 and you got a taxi home and Claire lived down the road or whatever so went on her way and um, I, as you, as you would in this situation when you are married uh, you would phone your wife and say I'm quite drunk and I don't want to wait for a taxi can you come and give me a lift and she did, fair credit to her, she did come and give me a lift but I had to sit outside on the benches um, outside the pub waiting for my wife at like 12 o'clock at night and a man came by who was quite drunk 
and he just came up to me and he said a statement I've never heard anyone use as an icebreaker, especially at Telegram. And he goes, did you have a productive day today? And I was like, fucking hell. What? And I say, did you have, was your day productive? Were you very productive today? And I was like, well. What, were I you mean, so drunk that you fell asleep on the bench and woke up at work? <laughs> I was <laughs> like. The neoliberal chat-up line I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, I was like. I was like, well, I mean, I, I suppose I, I went on, you know, I went up north, I met my friends, had a good day, had a good laugh, went and played Sega Rally in the arcade at Arborof, had fun, met my friends, no, we all had a good time. He says, and would you call that productive? I was like, calm down, Sir Starmer, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and he, right, and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, uh, now, I will say, I will preface this by saying, I was quite drunk, so I didn't want to get into the whole, you know, you shouldn't view life through you know, how much capital that you can make and then maybe you should think of it something else apart from productivity. Um, like a weird, like, Uzbek cotton worker in the 80s. So I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's what matters to me. And, you know, it's, uh, everyone's, you know, had a good time. And so he says, if you were a business owner, you would think differently. And I was like, okay then. Or like, clearly, I'm at, clearly saying it's one of those things of tell me that you are a very stressed business owner with lazy workers without telling me you're a very stressed <laughs> business owner with lazy workers they're probably not that lazy he's probably he's just very hard on them but um he's kind of got into this thing of him talking about productivity he says have you ever thought about running your own business and i was like i'm quite drunk i don't it's not the time to be developing a business i'm not gonna was, lie was this, was this pyramid selling because it sounds like pyramid selling <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, How much really washing up like, could you do without any washing up? <laughs> yeah, very much felt like that, right? And I was like, oh, maybe I don't know. I don't like it. And I, I kind of, I kind of thought, you know what? I'm going to have a wee dig, right? I'm going to have a wee dig here. We'll see, you'll see how this goes. Said, <laughs> oh, well, no. you know, I'd like to be a business owner, but I'm not that sort of guy who likes to work my workers. You know, be that hard ass. You know, I'm very relaxed with people and stuff, and I don't want to put them under stress and pressure that they don't necessarily need to. So I don't like the responsibility, or whatever. And he said. All right, okay. You should you should set up a business. And I was like, all right. Now, this is weird enough as it is. However, this was a ten minute chat. He he didn't blink once. <laughs> he did not he did not break eye contact with me once. I broke eye contact with him quite a lot. He did not with me. He just stared through me um the whole time. And I don't want to run a business ever if it turns me into that. <laughs> Very, very bizarre. That, um, that's, do you think he'd been a, a bit of a uh, bit of uh, on a bit of old Chapo's finest produce? I, I think he was. <laughs> I was scared he was. He was either going to. Um, he was either going to punch me or put me in a performance improvement plan, and I, I didn't know which one it was going to be. Um, you're not going to pet for me, are you? Yeah. But um, so yeah. Um, f- fun times? Question bizarre. mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd like to dedicate this show to that man, um, just to prove that we can. Uh, uh, produce the stacanovite. God, if you care uh, how long it took me to fucking put these podcasts out, he'd fucking bulk. <laughs> yeah, um, like, so have you ever thought about running a business? Like, what do you fucking think this is? <laughs> I've actually made uh, made inquiries about sponsoring a player from uh, for the local football team because I was like, this seems very us, and I'm very much at the I want to spend some of Grandma's inheritance uh, thing. <laughs> and um, I was like, you can sponsor it as a business. Like, I mean, we don't make any money from this. In fact, we actively yeah. lose it. But, um, yeah. We we revel, we relish losing money at this. We're actually we're actually not losing as much money as say Uber though. So you know, no silver linings, mercifully. We should yeah. probably say what this episode's about, shouldn't we? 
Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Hyper intense drunk city. Yeah. Um, conversations of, re- of call center managers is what it is. <laughs> a two hour special. Yeah. Um, uh, no, it's not, it's not that, thankfully. Um, we, so we are continuing on, as we have uh, intimated earlier in the episode, with our look at wrestlers from the, uh, well, soon to be former USSR at this stage, um, and why they're in Japan and what they were doing there. So, uh, okay, so we have to change our plan a little bit from what we announced at the end of uh, episode number 24. Uh, so our idea was to look at uh, the Lenin Stadium uh, New Japan Martial Arts Festival show from the 31st of December 1989 and just to, just to think, okay, well, let's look at some of these Soviet shooters that we didn't look about on the last episode. So your Timo Zalasovs and your Habieli Viktorchevs, um, and that would be a nice, a nice thing to do for the first part of the episode. Unfortunately, those matches are not on New Japan World and we were unable to track them down searching in both English and Cyrillic so we did uh, cover all bases we did uh, our best we did our best by which I mean David did his best because yeah. he's the only one who actually reads Cyrillic out of all of us um, but so we were unable to do that unfortunately but what we did find was to call it a documentary would be generous but there is a 40 minute video which is it's very solicited as highlights from the New Japan Martial Arts Festival show um, and so we'll just talk about that for the first part of the episode and uh I mean, the first question you might have is, why was there a show in Moscow that New Japan was doing? Um, fair question. Uh, so this was before Inoki became known for his spectacular Inoki Bombayer shows, which would uh, always take place on New Year's Eve. And New Year is a really big thing, as you may know, in Japan. It's sort of bigger than Christmas uh, for them. It's a really big, uh, really big festival. And there's always things on on New Year's Eve. And Inoki took part in that. They all love watching Japanese Hogmanay with Japanese Jackie Birds, um, Birdsan, and uh, Japanese Phil and Ali playing up some great um, like Koto music. Um, yeah, Joe Holland playing some honky tonk shamisen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have to say, literally, Archon Yukio Mishima was a lovely, lovely man, but I must say he was fanatically right wing. <laughs> For fuck's sake. So, um, yeah, so the um, this was not the first time that uh, Inoki would hold a show in a regime with a dodgy human rights record. And it certainly would not be the last. Be the last. Uh, <laughs> I imagine this was a sort of uh, quid pro quo between him and the Soviet sports ministry t- for bringing in these guys. So it was like, OK, you do a show for us uh, at the Lenin Stadium. It's now called the uh, Luzhniki Stadium. It's the... Uh, biggest football stadium in Moscow and it is the home of I believe both Spartak and Lokomotiv Moscow uh, nowadays certainly Spartak and one of the other big Moscow teams uh, ground I believe, I believe they've all played um, I believe Torpedo played there for a while and Cisco as well uh, okay so really, like yeah. yeah it's a big hub um, capacity is about 80,000 this drew uh, 10,000 which is a big turnout but uh, presumably looked a bit empty in the same way that the staggering decision to host uh, shows at the Tokyo Dome during the pandemic by New Japan nowadays may have backfired in those terms. I mean, I, I once did a, um, a youth music tour to Spain where we played in this old Roman amphitheater, which was an extremely cool place to play. And we'd also watch Gladiator on the tour bus that afternoon. So everyone was absolutely mad for it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just, just to clarify, you watched Gladiator or Gladiators? Gladiator. <laughs> 
Um, right, just checking. Because I'll be honest, any 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 sighting of jets would get me primed for action. <laughs> sure, I'm sure it would. And uh, we started playing, and like the the turnout looked really shit. And then and then we gradually realised because it was like a tenth full, and we gradually realised actually like this is our comfortably our biggest crowd of the tour. It's just it looks rubbish because this place is absolutely massive and seats like four thousand. <laughs> so and- basically, a similar vibe to that. Big, big Pink Floyd live in Pompeii vibes. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh so, um, yeah, it's uh, the the card is. Um, well, I'll just run, I'll just run down the card. Uh, so, at the Central Lenin Stadium. Um, so the card is as follows: uh, Kuniaki Kobayashi versus is uh, Takashi, the guy in the place with a bit of sweet face, Izuka or Takayuki Izuka, as he was known back then. Um, Jushin Liger versus Black Tiger. Uh, guys, do you know who was playing uh, Black Tiger at this point? Is that one? Is it either Guerrero or Mark Rocco? Are you watching Joshu Ricky? Yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, it's a boy. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. what, what, what would the, the comrades in Moscow think of Jushin Liger versus Black Tiger as being like the second match, the only second wrestling match you've ever watched in their life? Is this the I suppose, to be fair, if you've never seen it before, like, um, at, at least the second one that you watch is, is likely to be very good. Yeah. <laughs> like, Evolve live in Beijing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining fucking Roger Scruton doing doing some, uh, you know, Sammy's dat behind the scenes in Moscow, and it's just tentacle hentai. It's like these people have never seen anime and manga. We need to bring it to them. And like Luigi Fan got there first, so fair play to them. Uh, and somewhere then... on the other side of the world, the butterfly effect takes shape, and George Eaton is sacked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut, fucking hell. And um, so one for the new statesman heads, both of you. Um, so the matches involving the um, Soviet talent started. So we got uh, Masahiro Chono versus Timo Zalasov, Shinji Hashimoto versus Waka Evaloev, Ricky Choshu versus Victor Zangiev, Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow versus Vladimir Berkovic, Hiroshi Hase versus Javier Victorchev, Salman Hashmikov versus Manny Fernandez. Bit of a weird one there. And the the main Manny event. Fernandez. Get to him. <laughs> and um, the main event was Antonio Noki and Shota Chochishvili, who wrestled each other on the match that we discussed on the previous episode, uh, versus Masasaito and Brad Rangans. Uh, so um, Zalasov and Victorchev. So these remain phantoms unknown to us. Um, uh, sadly, because we, we couldn't watch any of their matches, even in highlight form. Uh, Can the we interesting... make a promise if they ever surface, we will review them at some point in like episode oh, 42. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm, definitely. Shortly after releasing our episodes about the Queen's Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, we'll do it for the pay pigs on our uh, soon to be announced Patreon. Which is just that, just that, and big Vince ASMR. So, um, and um, so uh, the context for this show, this is by the end of 1989, since the uh, since the Tokyo Dome show, we covered episode 24. It is fair to say that politically things have moved very fast in the Eastern Bloc. Uh, yeah. Communist regimes across Europe have either fallen or are in the process of falling, or are about to be in the process of They've falling. They've pretty much all fallen, apart from Yugoslavia and Russia. Certainly, yeah. like. Czechoslovakia, East Germany, um, Hungary, uh, Poland, and I believe Bulgaria was maybe a wee bit different, but they were all in November, and then Romania was on Christmas Day when she was in the Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu were taken out back like old yellow and shot, and it's really sad that that they didn't live to see this show, because I think they would have enjoyed it, and uh, and, uh, Um, the the Berlin Wall was down as well, so that's the the other big thing that's happened. I, I I was just trying to figure out quite how pointy-headed uh, and um, sort of like off-puttingly 
uh, arcane my uh my response to uh, uh the notion that these countries were communist countries should be um should <laughs> i go should i go full on how, how dare you these were deformed uh, state capitalist uh, states uh, uh or, or should i sort of um restrain myself and be slightly more nuanced uh, which is probably I'm, I'm probably somewhere in between those two things really. the CBGB has entered the chat <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you want yeah, do you want 15 yeah. minutes <laughs> yeah yeah so i think i'll probably just leave it out there uh, uh, to be i'll leave it hanging uh, yeah. there for the audience yeah. like, 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 yeah, like, like, yeah. is this like when uh, is this like when an old firm facts um he never tells you whether he's a rangers or celtic fan so people guess oh it's definitely a celtic yes. fan he's definitely a ranger they'll they'll guess about our opinions as to whether or not uh, we, we do believe that they were communist races. George yeah. definitely thinks they were the absolute peak of Marxist Leninism, whereas Daniel <laughs> believes that they were in the head of yeah. revisionist state communist. And D- David Daniel just loves him for Hodge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. D- 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 Daniel will, will not cannot be reached for comment because um, uh, he, he he is away. But he's left us a memo stating uh, that you know that that he is. He is quite simply an orthodox Marxist, and we'll let the, uh, the, the the audience figure that one out for themselves. David can't be contacted meanwhile because he's in a bunker. <laughs> no second. No Very good. Um, I mean, thinking about this show, um, I always I always like to draw. There's an interesting counterpoint uh, with this show to me with the other notable stadium show in European wrestling that took place in late 1989, which is the Catch Wrestling Association show in Bremen in West Germany. Oh, yeah. That was headlined by a uh, big Otto Vance versus Bull uh, Power, aka Big Van Vader. And yeah. Um, when, yeah. when you say Bull Power, I always only ever can hear it in the um, in the voice of the Welsh commentator, who. Oh yeah, is, is, is it Oric Williams that does? does it. Yes, it is. Yeah. Is it actually him himself? Excellent, because I was never sure whether it was him or sort of one of the people that helped him him run his promotion in Wales. Yeah. Um, but that, that that's great, yeah, because because he always pronounced he's got a beautiful voice, Eric Williams, to be honest. Um, uh, and he uh, and he always announces it full power. Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful, There's... and it's a fantastic hold from full power. <laughs> they, they, they love the words with the double L's in them. What can I say? Um, yeah. But, Power. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the the vibe I always get watching that show because like you, you've got the pomp and pageantry of you get the national anthems before the uh, before the match. You've got the flags of the USA and Austria. So you've basically got you know the Soviet Union's big rival, and you have Austria, one of the many Western European client states uh, that were part of NATO. And um, the the vibe I always get from the crowd is one of sort of optimism almost a quiet triumphalism a kind of fukuyama-esque end of history sort of uh vibe um it's it's quite interesting i recommend checking it out not just because the match is really really good it's one of my favorite human conquers matches of all time oh, it's great it's fantastic just two big fat fuckers just beating the shit out of each <laughs> other it's incredible and you you counterpart you you can't oppose the vibe from that show with the vibe from this show the lenin stadium for the vast majority of the people in the crowd basically anyone under the age of 80 this is the only political system that they have ever lived under and they know with a sense of grim inevitability it is more than likely going away and so you know you, you can't even begin to uh you know, to contemplate the kind of psychic damage that losing your country's you know political preeminence would do to people take it from me a british person <laughs> so yeah. um, uh it, it's kind of it's kind of a really interesting time to be doing this show i mean the fact the show is happening at all is interesting but like new year's eve 1989 yeah there's a lot going on in moscow at that point i can tell you yeah 
it, it does. It has this odd sort of feeling that there's like this like sort of liminal emotional sort of psychological space that uh, that is inhabited by just about everyone that's involved in this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, and I think uh, yeah. if you were in that situation, you know, why wouldn't you want to go to the uh, the Lenin Stadium oh, and see some big fuckers throw each other around? It was probably very cathartic. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'll probably get renamed the fucking Pete the Great Stadium again soon, so, uh, you know. Uh. The central Neil Lennon Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, so this this docu- this documentary that we talked about, so it was about 40 minutes, you can find it on uh, YouTube, um, and look when when it opens with a leather jacket clad antonio Inoki posing awkwardly with some russian lads you know oh, it's yes. going to be good um yeah. this this is um this is this is it's absolutely bizarre i was expecting a sort of uh fly on the wall type documentary like backstage showing them set set up it's really not that there's a bit of sort of there's a few it's, minutes someone has went on yeah. holiday with a camcorder like you know in the 90s when you're your yeah, mom yeah. had to take a camcorder if you record the family holiday that it's very much that but it's, it's just clearly, it's very clearly handheld footage from ringside uh for the most part and you can tell because they've got the little like white lettering on the uh mm. on, on the camera that you would get I don't, I don't know what the fuck it means but like um someone's clearly just there with a with a camcorder trying mm. to hold it as steadily as they can still better uh, better cinematography than kevin dunn mind but um yeah. i mean is, for me it's yeah. probably the greatest found footage horror film of all time Oh yeah, yeah. There's a very much a Blair Witch vibe to this. Like yeah. it's uh, or the comparison I made before we started recording, which was uh, the DDP stalker videos from the invasion. <laughs> um, so I, there's there's, yeah. there's actually there's actually another comparison to be made here, and I don't know if this is still on YouTube or how I found it, or indeed um, sort of like who uploaded it or what where it's from. But um, a few years ago, I was on a sort of um, I was on a sort of like Crockett. Um, sort of mid-Atlantic uh, uh, binge like, through YouTube stuff. And, you know, you get recommended videos that pop from one thing to the other. And one thing that popped up was this footage that someone had recorded of um, of a bunch of, like, uh, 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 Crockett guys backstage, probably around the late 80s or, or maybe mid-80s, I don't know, or whenever it was. But um, it, it, it was it was at a time before uh, uh, the, the Road Warriors had gone to WWF to become uh, the Legion of Doom uh, for for a period because um, it showed those two backstage with I think Sting and someone else blatantly just doing cocaine. Um, and, uh, it was and it was weird. It was about a 45, 50 minute long video, and I think it was just some person wandering about backstage and sort of like you know being the sort of a uh, sort of like w- walking through the back, and you'd just see like you know Arn Anderson just like. Uh, uh, sort of uh, reading a newspaper while he's eating a sandwich and stuff and all that sort of thing. Uh, it was really, really odd. That 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 is fucking bizarre. Like I'd I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love to see that. Um, yeah, I don't have to try and find that again. But it, it had a similar vibe to this though because it was a home, you know, home movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. I mean, we get like a bit of. Um, footage of pre-show like there's um jushin liger is there testing out the ring giving some snapmares to shinya hashimoto which is a weird fucking visual and yeah. uh, i don't think they would do that in an actual match um and uh, you've got a parade of tracksuit clad wrestlers come out as some porno sax plays and then a guy looks like a lot like a russian luthez does the uh, the intro speech and then uh, i've just got written in my notes the mic gets raised so we know he can be heard properly man look confirmed yeah I mean, it's it when when you say it funny, it's a Russian Luthez. It may well have been one of his relatives because Luthez is involved in one of these other matches that we're about to. Yes, uh... yes, he is, and of <laughs> I, I believe um, Hungarian descent. 
Yeah, and yeah. Uh, like a man with a very vestigial Eastern Bloc co- connection himself. Yeah. I am. Um, I uh, wanted to mention, uh, well, first of all, I wanted to thank the person who actually uploaded this. His name is Lev Orlov, and his YouTube, a mixture of old Bushido tapes and videos about Vladimir Putin, which is either very propagandic or, or very, very um, derogatory. But I didn't watch any of them or understand any of them to know. So it is 50-50 as to whether he has cancelled at this point. But thank you. He also put in the, the highlights that um, in the description the one of the people who organised this show was Mikhail Mamiashvili, who is definitely corrupt. Um, he was an Olympic wrestler in Georgia. Um, he won a gold medal the year before in Greco-Roman wrestling. And he then became like the head of the Russian Wrestling Federation and has significant ties to the Georgian Mafia. And as well as that, has been um, tried for assault of uh, wrestlers and things like that. So mm. a shithead of a man but a, a damn good wrestling organiser of like yeah. weird stadium and, shows. And and to be fair, I actually thought he was pretty decent for City in midfield in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> for fuck's sake. I, I like the idea that like he, he won the Olympic gold medal and then he became head of the Russian Wrestling Federation. Was that like, is it like those matches in the WWF where like Steve Austin can pin Vince McMahon, he becomes the CEO? <laughs> <laughs> He's walking into the Russian Wrestling Federation, things in order and vodka for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it actually became Russian wrestling entertainment later after the lawsuit. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So basically what happens is um, we get just highlights from like what is basically glorified fan cam footage of uh, firstly, um, Waka Evaloa versus uh, Shinya Hashimoto, uh, which is... Uh, it's m- time for Africa, George. <laughs> it really, it's, it's, it's weird because like you get like four different shots of Evaloa doing submissions on Hashimoto and then... I mean, really, I, we, we won't go over these in detail because, I mean, it's kind of very cut up. But um, yeah, Evaloev, uh, this kind of relates to what I was talking about in the previous episode about him sort of working more of a pro style match uh, than some of the other the other shooters. And this is evidenced by the fact he takes a DDT pretty well, actually, in this match. And then a spinning wheel kick with like a nice flat back bump. And um, yeah, so he like seems like he was a guy who could have adapted very well to the sort of house style of New Japan. As we mentioned, they didn't really do much with him after that, even though they booked him quite strongly because they had him beat Masa Saito um, on the Dome show, who two years previously had been basically the top heel in the company. And he gets a draw here against Hashimoto, who had very clearly been pegged for stardom uh, even at uh, even at this early stage. Um, so that was that was quite interesting. Then we get um, Vladimir Berkovich versus Bam Bam Bigelow. A, a great big man combination. This goes somewhat longer than the Bigelow Hashmikov match from the dome, even in uh, highlight form. Uh, Bigelow is really good at uh, healing it up for the uh, Russian crowd. I can imagine there was quite a lot of resentment towards Americans at this point, and um, uh, yeah. Bigelow really um, he, he really he really draws on this. It's uh, it's great. He's doing all his pro style moves like big scoop slam, falling headbutt. He's also he's also doing arm bars, which is which is quite funny because it's not really a move you would associate with Mr. Big. No. Um, I, I I presume it's probably because um, you know the move is over in Russia. 
yeah. because of all this stuff. So it's like, hey, everyone uh, does arm bars. There's even like a there's a scream from the crowd when Bam Bam does an overhead chop, which reminds me of that woman who was used to stand behind the goal at Highbury, uh, who was known <laughs> colloquially as the Highbury screamer, and she just let out this piercing wail every time the the Gooners conceded. And I'm really, I really hope for her sake she doesn't have a season ticket at the Emirates with the start they've had this season. <laughs> <laughs> she would be in hospital with oxygen deprivation. Uh, and uh, Berkovic does fire back, and the crowd absolutely loves him uh, stomping on the American. Uh, Bam Bam eventually uh, wins with the uh, diving headbutt from the top rope. Berkovic kicks out at 3.1, getting his heat back, brother, for the, for, for the motherland. This, and uh, lots of whistling and jeering um, afterwards. Well, this match um, very much exemplifies my, our, our good friend, friend of the pod, um, Matt Greer, who also co host of um, my other Fistle podcast, Draw Always a Draw. I remember I was went to a Fistle came with him, we were playing Dundee United, and um, we were absolutely running them riot. And uh, like halfway through, um, Matt just turned to me and says, if we win, don't cheer, just soak in the booze. <laughs> just let them wash over you and radiate over you. And I feel that Bam Bam Bigelow was doing that here, just, just letting all of the booze come to him and just inhaling every single one of them. They were not pleased. And yeah, like really the worked. crowd were really hot, I mean, as you would expect for someone who's never seen wrestling before to then get this. Like, they absolutely loved it. Like, it's not like when you go to Saudi Arabia and it's just got lots of oil shakes in their phones and recliner chairs. It's like they were absolutely living or dying with us. It was great. Yeah, it's um, it's it's quite it's quite um, it's quite funny how this um shows booked actually because up until the last three matches of the show like the the soviets hadn't actually got any wins um zalasov lost zangiev lost berkovich lost evelo have got a draw um and then uh, victor chev beat Hase in well it's listed on cage matches a different style of fight and there's a round system so i imagine it was something akin to the inoki chochishvili matches um mm. then basically all we get from hashimikov versus manny fernandez is the finish I've no idea what Manny Fernandez was doing on this show. Like, um, I, 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 no. I think I think he was over on a tour in New Japan at the time, and they they yeah. just brought him along to this. But like, it's very just weird um, opponent for Hashimikov. Yeah, it's just such an odd. You would think it would be such an odd sort of stylistic um, uh, uh, clash. But then again, we had Buzz Buzz Sawyer. You know, who, who did have an amateur background, but was uh, well, you know, well, they they kind of I I don't think that, I don't think he did, but they kind of wanted you to think he did. Oh no 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 no, they did. Uh, he actually did. He actually did win. Um, uh, not a particularly high level, but he was he was I think he was a at a, a, a half decent college. Oh okay, so he had a little, little, little at bit. some Essex, point. So you Essex know, senior not... cup winner. 20, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, the way they presented yeah. him um, at that dome show, you would think he'd been in the fucking Olympics. Yes, well, exactly. It was complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you such, know, such, I loved it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The and then we get to the main, uh, which is so uh, Chochishvili and Inoki both get uh, big reactions, uh, especially when Chochishvili does a takedown to Saito. Uh, Chochishvili seems more assured in this match, uh, in sort of bumping terms, than he was in the the two against Inoki. Then again, like selling doesn't really need to be his uh, forte. He is the um, you know the 
hometown hero. I mean, he's, he's Georgian, but, you know, near, near, near a damn it. Um, and the Olympic gold uh, medalist in judo. Um, <laughs> Inoki, uh, Inoki runs the ropes and the crowd really, really love it. That's what I love about an Inoki hot tag. He will just like uh, really aggressively runs the ropes and the crowd always go wild for it just because he looks so fired up before doing like his usual middling mat work. But um, there is a spot in this match I've never seen before, which is when uh, Brad Rangans, who's is mostly doing sort of amateur style stuff, manages to turn a backslide attempt from Inoki to a extremely horrible looking pile driver. This match, this match is like it's just absolute. It's just an absolutely bizarre combination of people. <laughs> to uh, like none of them work a style like remotely like the others. Um, no, and- all that are even particularly complementary to the other in a sort of like opposite to <laughs> track way. You've got you sometimes a, get. <laughs> yeah, you've got a judoki. You've got a pro wrestler. You've got <laughs> Saito is basically a wild man brawler, and then yeah. you've got an Olympic style grappler. So it's it's so weird. weird. There's also a bit uh, in which uh, Saito back. There's a couple of backdrops to Anoki and Chochish really looks to be considering getting in the ring to break up the pin, which I would have loved to see. Yeah. Uh, just like from a man who like really never seems to grasp the fundamentals of what pro wrestling actually was. Uh, the idea that he was like, should I go and make, break the pin? Maybe. No, maybe. But um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was uh, it was good. Like uh, the, the, the the finish is fucking hilarious to uh, this match because um, basically Rangans tries to do a suplex to Chojishvili and basically Chojishvili falls on top of him. He's a very big man. Uh, then Inoki uh, tags in, tries to leapfrog Chojishvili with a diving knee drop and actually lands on Chojishvili himself. <laughs> like, it's, I, I love the fact that the biggest botch in the match was the guy who's been pro wrestling for like three decades. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Do you think with Shorter Shoshashvili, it's like Andy Murray, with it when he's when he when he wins his Soviet and when he loses his Georgian? <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna say, I thought you were gonna say it was the uh, uh, it, it was a sort of a a botch reminiscent of the botch that Andy Murray notoriously did in his post match interview once where he he'd, uh, he'd I, I don't follow tennis but I've fucking seen this video many times. I don't know if you've seen this. Andy Murray, uh, 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 the sort of famously stony faced. Uh, um, sort of, you know, not particularly a, a, a expressive sportsman, um, was ve- was very happy after he'd won, um, I think, a final of some sort. And he was um, with his um, training team, which involved uh, a couple of, like, you know, men of his age who uh, were, uh, you know, his training partners and things. The, uh, the, the, the post-match interview, this is live on television, sort of said, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you boys must have had a great time and all the hard work's paid off. And Andy Murray basically said, oh, well, I think my uh, my pal's hard work paid off last night when he was in the club with that young lady. Eh? Uh, <laughs> and then live on TV, that same man had to take the microphone and say, Andy, I'm sorry, I'm married. <laughs> oh, which, no. result, which resulted in Andy Murray just like doing that kind of like ex- that sort of instant reaction, like laughter which just hides just being utterly sort of like, you know, devastated for the fact that you've essentially, not through any fault of your own, just broken up a marriage. <laughs> wow. Uh, but, but, but breaking... Very much Scottish there, wasn't he? He wasn't British at that point. He was very much Scottish. <laughs> I've, I've heard of tennis players breaking serve, breaking up a marriage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, well, the, someone uh, got served when they got in with the horse papers, <laughs> that is. That's, that's actually quite a good point you raised, actually, David, in that like most of the guys who were involved in this Red Bull Army angle would probably not have been considered ethnic Russians. Like, uh, I mean, Hashimikov was uh, Chechen, and I believe he was actually born in one of the Central Asian republics. I want to say Kazakhstan. Zangiev was Kazakh. Berkovich was Kazakh. 
So, like, uh, I, I think Kazakhstan just, like, breeds extremely good amateur wrestlers. Apparently something to do with the mountain air, uh, according to one of our uh, t- Twitter mutuals. But, um, so that it was... that breeds pretty good boxers, doesn't it? Or is that Kyrgyzstan that's got the big Kazakhstan, boxing? Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan yeah. I, well, I thought it was. You're probably thinking yeah. of the UFC's Valentina Shevchenko, who I... Uh, yeah, yeah. Kyrgyz, yeah. 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 Uh, so um, the finish to this match is that Inoki takes out both the heels with an enzigiri. Saito does a hilarious Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 2 bump through the ropes. He like travels halfway across the ring before uh, <laughs> before falling out. Uh, Chojavili really hits Rangans with a move the camera misses and then gets <laughs> and then gets the three. I, I think it was a uh, I think it was some sort of STO, but like I I I couldn't tell you. I could not see any of the move. Good to see the camera lads at AEW getting other work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I've seen, I've seen, I've, I've generally seen like better camera work from just Chikasa Nagayo and various members of the Marvelous roster just doing all that, that, um, that Gatto move match where the camera got knocked off his axis halfway through the match and they didn't notice. And so all you could see for the rest of the match was just a corner of the room and they put it on YouTube with the, with the note, please imagine the unseen. <laughs> it was <like> really <laughs> philosophical. Um, so, uh, so Inoki goes over on the big stadium uh, stadium show, uh, you know, Kel Surprise. And uh, then we have a, a presentation afterwards. Um, Victor Zangiev is pictured smiling. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I think that might be the first time I've ever seen him smile, other than a sort of like sadistic way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just a genuine smile. It's like, oh, Victor Zangiev, he's at the Lenin Stadium having a lovely time. Trying not to think yeah. about the inevitable breakup of, uh, of the Soviet <laughs> Union, the fact he is soon to be a designated foreigner. <laughs> Um, um, well I mean to be fair by this point because this would have been around about the time of Starcades um, he'd went over to do the Starcades it was in 89 wasn't it the Starcades Starcades was 90 I was about to talk about that that actually because basically these guys last matches in uh, in New Japan were in the autumn of 1990 then Hashimikov and Zangiev got booked in WCW in the December of that year for Starcade Um, they took part in a one night eight team international tag tournament um, where all of the teams represented a different country. They were authentic South Africans. I don't look it up. They just were. All right. Colonel De Beers and the lads. Um, and they went out in the semis of that tournament to the Japanese team of the aforementioned Masasaito and the Great Muta. And um, at, at that point, that was basically it for them in pro wrestling until 1993. I, I was going to ask um, if I told you about what they did at Starcade on their day off. Oh, uh, maybe. They, I'm not they, sure. I, I think I, I think you have you have told me this before. Did we not, did we not have this on a previous episode? I, I think it, I think it bears reiterating. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, shout out again to the Wrestling Classics show on the subject last episode um, about my great E-Fed involving hash rungs. I'm gave, but someone once posted that they were their handler at Starcade '89. So they they took them out for the day, and the first thing he did is he bought. <laughs> like dozens of pairs of jeans levi's jeans that was you know, we need to go find levi's jeans and they bought hundreds and hundreds of pairs of levi's jeans presumably to sell at a huge markup when they got home but yeah they bought lots and lots of jeans and then they went to the budweiser um brewery and he just had a day out on the lash at the budweiser brewery just going on the factory tour and trying all the samples and just like can you think of a more fun day than going out with sal and hashmikov and victor zangi on the lash at the budweiser factory and your new levi's jeans be amazing I, I, it's li- literally like the, getting back into Russia. It's literally the um, the the Simpsons episode with Chief Wiggum and the guys in the counterfeit. You're like, looking good, boys. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'd also imagine actually like you know, 1990 as opposed to 1989. Probably you could 
feel much more able to get away with selling Western goods on the black market. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there is there is that. But yeah, I mean, they they I always forget um, that they didn't have anything to do with pro wrestling for uh, two and a half years. Uh, after that and and like what like we said most of the red bull army didn't have anything to do with uh, pro wrestling full stop which kind of nicely brings us to the second part of what we want to talk about in this episode um because uh, so we're going to flash forward to 1993 and a promotion dear to our hearts called the union of wrestling forces international or uwfi now this was a shoot style promotion which promoted itself as quote-unquote real wrestling it obviously wasn't but um they wanted to bring in shooters from all, all different disciplines and um, they must have had the idea at one point hey remember that angle with the soviet shooters in new japan that's pretty good Shall we bring some of them in? And so Hashimikov, Zangiev and Berkovich ended up fetching up in UWFI. Now, uh, by 1993, things had somewhat changed in Russia. The Soviet Union now fully uh, broken up or the I think the Baltic uh, the Baltic republics had gone. Uh, Moldova had gone. You know, all all of the all of the republics were now uh, independent, and Russia was no longer under the leadership of Mikhail Gorbachev, but uh, uh, Boris Yeltsin, and it was now a sort of leadership is a somewhat grandiose term. Yeah, yeah that is true. For, it was for, like a, a for being of, a drink sodden popping yeah. jay. Yeah, <laughs> federal presidential republic uh, really was yeah. the. Uh, was the new system and uh, the state industries were all carved up and sold off to friendly businessmen who were pro government. Yeah. <laughs> and this is how r- people, r- basically yeah. rule rule by industrialized gangsterism and oligarchy had returned. Yeah, yeah, which is of course, <laughs> which is of course much better than communism. So no, um, of course, yeah. So basically, this is how Roman Abramovich got uh, rich. I'm sure you'll have, if you're a football fan, I'm sure you'll have heard of Abramovich. And there was this when he bought Chelsea, there was this moral panic about all these. Uh, Russian oligarchs moving in and buying up our assets. But that's, that's basically how they these people were enriched to a stupendous degree pretty much o- overnight. And so instead of one state monopoly, you basically had a new system which replicated the, the economic conditions only instead of one monopoly, there were uh, one monopoly for each uh, each sector. So basically not very much a change except the money was going to these rich individuals rather than the state. So again, obviously, I'm, I'm sure we can see this is a huge improvement. So uh, that was what's going on in Russia. We'll, we'll say a bit more in later episodes about you know how the Yeltsin era uh, developed yeah. and, and leading on to uh, Putin, but um, I think we can probably leave that until uh, until later episodes where we're sort of moving into the mid 90s, uh, the time that the USA definitely did not rig the Russian presidential election so the communists wouldn't win, and yeah. uh, all that all that kind of all that. Simon Gotch shoots and Boris Yeltsin of David of David E. Fed fame. Um, yeah. So yes. yeah, so what we're going to do now is. Um, talk about some matches involving the survive well, I'm going to say surviving that implies they're dead they're not as we know Wacker Evelov is big up in the politics of Ingushetia um, but the uh, the guys who the Ulofi brought in and we're going to cover some matches that they had had with um, various shoot style luminaries of that era and so, Yoji Anjo <laughs> oh yes 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 fuck yeah um, I'm, I'm so stoked we get to talk about him again but yeah we'll leave we'll leave that for we're going to save the best or last um, for the moment we're going to talk about a match that took place on the 18th of July 1993, uh, this was for Ulofi's top belt, the rather generically named Pro Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship. 
it's a curious title actually this was established in 1992 Nobuhiko Takada the ULUFI founder and ace won a tournament final and uh, the belt that was used for this was the old NWA title belt of Luthez who had lent his name to the promotion he was promoting it as again quote-unquote real wrestling he knew it wasn't but it seemed to him to recapture something of the style of the wrestling that uh, that he loved and so he lent himself and his title belt to this so interesting um, separation of the signifier and the signified here like it's it is the belt but it's called something different so um this was Takada's first title defense and it was against uh, Salman Hashmikov the former IWGP heavyweight champion and, and kind of the you know the most preeminent of the of the Red Bull army now this was and we should probably talk about um how this aired on television actually because um yeah. this stuff was shown on Russian telly under yeah. the under the name Bushido um so the, and there's a lot of this stuff on YouTube by the way and it's that, that, it was did you guys watch this uh, on the Bushido uh, yeah I watched all these matches yeah, yeah I did as well yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it used to also be on UK TV all the time you see in Channel 4 like, it was in the Trans World Sports so it'd be oh, that nice. and, our, and like baseball and Bushido like yeah so a lot of this stuff is either from like this Russian TV channel or like Channel 4 because they used to show all of it in Channel 4 as well yeah, yeah. That's so. It's basically it's Russian TV coverage with Russian language commentary uh, of this, and also a ticker of various uh, Russian sports results uh, going past. So if, if you wanted to know what the CSKA Moscow basketball team was doing in 1993, then uh, then have at it, mm. or like just random volleyball scores. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, they only yeah, so they only aired a clipped version of this match, unfortunately. But you you get to see most of the uh, action. Um, talk about a murderer's row of dignitaries. Um, oh my god! Match. We have got the trio. Is of, this the is this the yeah. real life like hardest like King of Trios team ever? <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Luthers, Billy Robinson, and Danny Hodge. Christ. Like <laughs> bloody mean, hell! I'm, I'm I'm quite scared just when you say their names together. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's, I mean, um, Billy Robinson had actually wrestled for UFI in 1990 against uh, Nick Bockwinkle, a reprise yeah. of their match from 10 years ago in New Japan that we covered on a yeah, previous it's episode. Kind of a, it's almost like an, an exhibition style match, that. Yeah, um, it's, it's the textiest exhibition I've ever seen. Yeah, like yeah. they are. It's, it's like 10 different. minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a good match. So, I mean, yeah, I but, would say that, obviously. But, <laughs> well, yeah. And, yeah. So the, they do some pomp and circumstance at the start. Uh, Luthez says uh, a wonderful sentence. I have a very important proclamation. Um, I assuming there's some Russian Chris Charlton translating all this for the uh, for the uh, for the TV audience. So that that and that that's good. We get sort of so they've clearly brought in not just famous American wrestlers, but you know, widely respected ones and ones who had this great legit background. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of giving the legitimacy, isn't it, to this not only this sort of belt, but um, the whole. The whole promotion as well, obviously, you know, going back to its roots with, um, you know, but uh, from UWF, UWF before and then UWF and I now as sort of yeah. the, the lineage of, you know, the gotch training um, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, really. ab- absolutely. I mean, Thez, Thez withdrew his support from the promotion when they hired Big Van Vader. Because uh, it's like this guy's this guy's not shooting. It's like Vader, Vader in UWFI was so good. Like, he was just a Amazing. big bear who just knew how to punch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's 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 kind of funny though when you think about it because like you know all three of these guys Robinson, Fez, and Hodge were all at one point booked against you know obviously standards change but were all at one point booked against you know uh, 
a, a sort of marauding, uh, touring monster of some kind. Oh, yeah. Uh, and admittedly, not perhaps one as cartoonish, not to say Vader's cartoonish, but you know what I mean, as larger than life as Vader. But, but definitely well, that was, yeah. you know. Luthez um, recounted his autobiography, uh, wrestling a guy called King Kong Shire in uh, Singapore. It was about 400 pounds yeah. and like al- almost getting shaken down by like Singaporean gangsters because he had the temerity to insist on being paid what was promised. Um, yeah. So um, and there's a there's a basically a bit where he recounts like basically some goons arrive at the door of his hotel room and they surprise them all by laughing and then open yeah. the door to reveal he was just having a chat with the British ambassador, the American ambassador and the sports editor of the Straits Times. <laughs> so clearly made some powerful friends. Uh, when he um, was uh, when he was in Singapore. Yeah, so um, um, I think I'm right in saying that obviously um, we've we've covered Robinson uh, before. We did an episode in uh, the, the first um, uh, match that he had with Botwinkle in Japan. We covered that on a match microscope not long ago that I chose. We've we've covered I think Fez either directly or indirectly, uh, and, and some of his influence on 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 Japan. Um, I feel like I think this might be something to do with the fact that um, there's less surviving footage although i could be wrong of hodge than some of the than some of the other guys um yeah. or, or at least his, his sort of classic uh, sort of period or, or anything like that um and i just wanted to sort of like try and emphasize quite how much of a hard man danny hodge was um yes. you, you, you if you if you weren't sort of around in the oklahoma sort of territory um, or watching, uh, you know, quite uh, sort of uh, many, 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 many decades old early NWA stuff. Um, but you might not know much about Danny Hodge other than him being constantly referenced throughout his entire career by JR. Um, who, Absolutely. Who, for whom Danny Hodge was always the go-to example of a legitimate hard man. Um, and not, not Fez, not, it was always Danny Hodge that he would go to. And I think, to, just to sort of sum this up, I, I, I wanted to do a little bit of research about Danny Hodge before this show because... Um, I was trying to remember uh, whether or not he'd actually successfully gone to the Olympics and and where he finished. Uh, um, uh, And in doing so, I looked up Wikipedia like any good academic. Um, And um, the photo of Danny Hodge on Wikipedia is a photo (laughs) of Danny Hodge, aged 80 years old, crushing an apple with one hand at the Oklahoma House of Representatives in May 2013. (laughs) And you can literally see the juice pouring out of this apple into a bin that the good representatives of the Oklahoma legislature have provided for him as they look on in astonishment from behind their sort of a, 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 a high podiums with microphones in front of them. It is insane. Danny Hodge was like, not only, so this is the thing, right? Danny Hodge, freestyle wrestler um, at the University of Oklahoma, undefeated, 46 in zero, 36 pins, reportedly never even taken off his feet during his collegiate career. Um, and then he became one of the big seven conference champs um, uh, um, in the 177 pound weight class. He went on to uh, uh, get that same weight class title at the NCAA championships um, in those years. Um, he pinned all three of his final opponents. He's the Jesus. only amateur wrestler to be featured on the cover of Sports Illustri- Illustrated. Um, and um, he then, in 1951, just to complete this all American hard case sort of image, joined the US Navy in 1951. Um, and then in that time, uh, by 1952, he was also um, going through the Olympic trials uh, um, at the same time. Um, and at the Helsinki Olympics, he was defeated, funnily enough, by the USSR's, uh, I'm going to butcher this pr- pronunci- uh, pronunciation, David Chimakuritze. 
um, uh, uh, um, uh, so he went again into the May 1956 wrestling trials for the US Olympic team, uh, where he was one of the favourites, but he was again eliminated. And so he made two um, Olympics appearances where he placed fifth in 1952 um, and won the silver medal in 1956 in Melbourne in Australia. Um, where, funnily enough, um, he was defeated in the final by another Eastern European, the Bulgarian Nikola Stanchev. And that's even before he went on to his pro wrestling career. Oh, by the way, as well, had a boxing career, won the 1958 Chicago Golden Gloves at heavyweight. Um, <laughs> Fucking yeah, hell. Then won a Chicago, New York intercity bout in October, beating another opponent. He finished his amateur career with 17 wins, no losses, and 12 KOs. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. And he was convinced, and this is what Wikipedia says, this could not be true, but it says he was convinced by boxing manager Art Freeman that he was a better prospect than Rocky Marciano. <laughs> um, and so he decided to become a professional boxer rather than pursue the opportunity to compete as a boxer and a wrestler at the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome in Italy. Uh, and in his professional debut now, he scored a first-round knockout victory. <laughs> and as a professional now, not amateur, he had a reported record of 8-2, which is pretty good, really, <laughs> you have to say. Not bad. Um, and that was all by the before the start of the 60s. Fucking um, hell. When he became a pro wrestler and lived to the ripe old age of... Uh, God, he must be way into his 80s when he, 88, when he died. He died I think eight, something like that. Yeah, last year, December 24th, Christmas Eve yeah, last year. Right. So I just yeah. thought I'd... Um, I'd, 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 I'd thrown a small bio of a, just a, a com, com, completely extraordinary man. <laughs> just, a, just an absolute hard nut. Like, uh, yeah. that, that, that is insane. Fucking hell. Like, yeah. He wasn't uh, even born to fight. He was just born to be hard. <laughs> that's actually the funny thing about, because, like, Robinson and Thez, like, were obviously, like, extremely talented catch wrestlers, but mm. they didn't have, like, credentials in the sense that, of, like, NCAA, been to the Olympics, etc., yeah. etc. Et but, like, yeah, Danny Hodge had done it all. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah, really yeah. interesting. Thanks yeah. for that. You, you definitely get the feeling that if you put, if you had to put, you know, any three of them into an MMA context as JR never never oh. ties and tells us you know Danny Hodge would have been the the, the, the standout oh, oh god yeah um speaking like the most what the fuck moment of this video for me was um I don't know if you guys watched the same version it uh they uh, muted the Japanese national anthem like yeah did, did, did they not have the rights to it or something like New Japan used to with like there's an anti-imperialist stance <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like don't you know how those teachers in Japan who like get sacked because they refuse to like Sing along to Kenagayo, yeah. or like, yeah, 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 it's basically like that. It's very, very I was very in, uh, intrigued that they actually used the anthem because obviously this is what '93 you said, wasn't it? '93, yes. Yeah, I mean, so like, Japan didn't like. I don't think Kenagayo was. They, they, it was officially made the anthem in 1999. That's also the reason why you see the imperialist navy flag. Um, and the highlights because the the, the yeah yeah you know, yeah Jesus and even clock that, is, yeah. was not created until 1999. So. Jesus, not not seeing a sign, not seeing signs of uh, noticing signs of fascism. Who am I? The British Liberal Press. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I was I was quite I was obviously they still no it was still like a thing, but it wasn't like a formal anthem. I was I was just a bit surprised by it. I know it's, mm. it probably sounds like they just kept using it, whatever. Did, but yeah. Mm. The Japanese national anthem is fucking shit, by the way. Um, like it's it's like its dreariness uh, is is comparable to ours, and yeah, also it's, like it's, it 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 seems like it ends halfway through a phrase as well. It's an event on like the tonic chord. Yeah, it's, it's a really real dumb squib, especially from a country that's produced like so much really fucking cool music. <laughs> like, oh, God, oh God, I know. You know. They should uh, get get some uh, get some uh, up up girls as the uh, <laughs> yeah yeah. Sorry, I, I just changed the whole position. 
Yeah. Just before we move on, I know we've taken an inordinate amount of time to talk about these three owl fellas who aren't even in the match. But um, <laughs> I had made I made one uh, um, sort of aesthetic sartorial observation of the three of them as they step into the ring. Um, and, and, and my notes here just say all three of these lads look like they're stepping into the Phoenix Club to present £100 worth of premium bonds and a crate of ale to the winner of Talent Trek. <laughs> come, on, come on, come on, come on. The um uh going back to people's records actually, I always love this on the Bushido coverage. Uh for singles matches they would list uh, people's new five records. Uh Takada is listed as having a record of yeah. eight wins and one loss. Um I, 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 I always love to see this in wrestling. Like um it's one of my favourite things about AEW. Like when they they print the uh, the records, like what's their singles record this year? What's their overall singles record? And it forced them to uh, to stay honest because like they can't do what the Fed do and have their mid card champions lose like three out of four matches, but like the, the, they retain the title. Uh, so like, and you can't just Goldberg it and just say that he won like eight. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. shows. laughs> There's going to be a lot of nerds online checking, as indeed there were back in the day. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Like, it, yeah, forced them to stay honest. Like, hey, it's easy to get a champion over. Just book them strong. It, it's you know, it's it's not rocket science as much as like Vince McMahon and his cronies oh. like to make it look so. Um, so yes, on to the match. So this is uh, Takada's first defense of his title. Uh, against Salman Hashmikov. The uh, I love watching shoot style with a crowd that is into the style. Um, mm. That like they they because they pop huge for this opening leg kick. Like I remember seeing the Ambition Tournament at 16 Carat a couple of years ago, and like watching that sort of stuff with a crowd who like they pop for the right things. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, stuff which in the context of a of a standard pro wrestling match wouldn't be especially remarkable. Um, they they kind of treat it like they're watching a a real sport. And that, that's good because yeah. like wrestling is is you know largely based on the interplay between performers and and audience. So like I always like that um, uh, sort of stuff. Um, essentially, Hashmikov's going for uh, going for takedowns and uh, arm bars. Um, you don't know if I actually had points losses for rope breaks, which I kind of uh, I kind of like. Although I've I've never seen a match end via points loss uh, or even come close. You you, you imagine. Imagine if it got down to like one point, the crowd would be going off their heads. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> Gle- Gleet have been doing this uh, in their shoot style division, and uh, like, but they they they've kind of simplified. It's like um, I think you start with five points rather than like fucking fifteen, uh, so it makes it much more likely that uh, one of their matches is going to end in such a way. I'd recommend Gleet's shoot style division. It's uh, it's a ton of fun. Like well, um, on YouTube as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's 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 a good promotion. I know people were kind of uh, skeptical because the parent company had like not covered themselves in glory um, with Noah. Yeah, good stuff. I I I I I keep meaning to watch Glee, um, and then every time I do, I end up um, sort of convincing myself that there's something else that I should watch of more the wrestling base <laughs> of more importance. But I'm getting to the point now where it's like uh, it's becoming quite intimidating to watch it because I feel like I'm just going to be so out the loop of everything that happens. I- I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think they run angles. So, like, well, you no, will, no, no, you that's what I mean. Fight. But even just sort of, you know, getting, being able to understand where everyone sort of is positioned in in the company and sort of like what their previous like bouts have been like, sort of getting idea, you know, that sort of thing. I, I get very intimidated by that. But I might just dive in and, and fuck yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I have, so. have we good. ever confirmed whether it's Gleet or Gleet? I think it is Gleet, but like, ah. it's, 
I, I, I keep calling it Gleet because it's... Is, it, is, is somebody on Twitter called the, the Gleet Gatsby? The Gleet Gatsby. The Gleet Gatsby. That's, that's an extremely good... Uh, that that's that is good. That, As a Twitter screen name, that is up there with Carly R.A. Jepsen, which I once saw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so, and then that, it, it builds itself as, like, ULF rules. So that um, sort of... It, it's a successor to this kind of uh, thing, hmm. really. Um the uh, Takada basically goes back to his leg kicks after this. Hashimoto really sells one of them, like even takes a, uh, a standing five count from it and uh, then starts basically with the gigantic uh, sort of one of them looks like it's going to be a water wheel drop and turns into some sort of weird spinning body slam. And uh, then like a the, the, and they did what I feel is the archetypal shoot style spot, which is a massive suplex into a side headlock. Yes, they fucking yep. love it. They do. love doing that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a hell of a lot of that. The, the next match we're going to uh, talk about is principally comprised of these. But yes, um, yeah. Takada turns it into a submission of his own. Ashmakov kind of just uses his mat to escape. Um, it's, 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 it's great. Like, I, I, I love a big lad versus a little lad in shoot. Oh, Takada versus Hashmakov. Takada versus Albright. Takada uh, yeah, yeah. versus Vader. Like yeah, always, all, always great. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of big lads versus little lads matches in in, in just normal pro style. Anyway, like oh, so in in shoot style, it's just all the more sort of glorious, isn't it? It's very much a sort of like a outlaw, um, sort of like you know a early MMA Valley Tudos kind of era vibe, yeah. isn't it? It's great. Sakuraba stuff. fighting guy's got a hundred pounds on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You love Paige to see Jackson. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I love the big versus little matches because, like, you know, can John Cena lift the big show? Like the the age old question that uh, that we're always asking ourselves. Of course, yeah. <laughs> you you, me- you mentioned Hashimoto's uh, bulk there before, and I, I just um I thought I, this was something that I sort of I, I realised uh, again while watching this match, principally because there's um a, a warm up backstage video of uh, of Hashimikov before this where he's he's shown. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, doing these uh, kind of uh, uh, vertical high kicks up right past his head, um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 an angle. And you sort of realise that actually Hashimakov is the epitome of just being beastly athletic, but not conventionally ripped as we would understand it now these days. No, no. He's like as far away from some like bulked up, like, you know, like heavily cut, like Love Island sort of contestant as you could get. But in that backstage warm-up video, he's doing things that are more athletic than anything I've ever done in my life. In, in in the first few exchanges here, like you mentioned, some of the transitions that he does are just gorgeous. Like he just does a gorgeous transition from a suplex into an armbar at one point, or an, an attempted armbar. Um, yeah. And it's just like uh, it, it's really beautiful to watch. It's both terrifying because of the mass that he's got and the sort of impact but it's also just like really smooth and a joy to watch as well i just think he's fantastic uh, i really can you imagine if he'd have bought out the axe kick in one of these matches yeah <laughs> <Andy Hook> style. <laughs> yeah like just like just Im- imagine the pop that would have got but no he remains Incredible. true to his uh, amateur ideals and i think we Incredible. should uh, presumably he's been paid quite handsomely for this <laughs> okay. um that's the, that's the other thing actually i would imagine um I don't know what the deal was uh, with these because it was a really a, an exchange between two states um, when they were with uh, New Japan. But like I, I don't know, um, are they are they free agents now? The uh, the shooters or was it still a deal with the Russian Sports Ministry? Because Hashimikov, I think, was retired from competition because he was forty years old at this point. 
Yeah. Um, because the, the, the Rings guys, they were just in... Were they individual? Like the Pan and all that, uh, you know, uh, when they yeah, were in Rings. they were... They were just like individual contractors, weren't they? I think. Yeah, they was were that just like brought in. So I don't really know what the status of these guys yeah. was at the time, but I, I imagine they would have had more freedom to sort of negotiate their contracts um, at this point, just because of you know, where, where we are in uh, in history. So uh, Takada basically nibbles with some high, high kicks, one of which gets Hashimikov in the head. There's another five count. And uh, Hashimikov picks the next kick, and then they uh, go to the mat. And uh, Takada gets a rear naked choke. Uh, it says too near to the rope, so they break it up. Uh, there's another leg kick, and then, <laughs> then Hashimikov gets real fucking mad and does some, like, knees in the clinch. Um, uh, well, actually, oh. Takada does the knees in the clinch as well, but like Hashimov kind of no sells them. Then he hits the water wheel drop, David's favourite move of all time. Yep, yep. I was it's done. You know, the toaster has popped. We are ready for lunch. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> you, I mean, and then, and then, yet he kicked no, out. No, 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 not only did he kick out, he just completely no sold it. Yes, it <laughs> like there wasn't even a pin, yeah. really. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, used it to a finisher. <laughs> yeah, because the the, the the water wheel drop that just to, to clarify, because I always forget, it's the one where they do like a little spin, isn't it? Um, he kind of picks him up like a sort of like an Canadian Alabama slam. Yeah, yeah, and then like splits backwards. It's the same move that um, uh, Chihiro Hashimoto does this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's it. Because there's, there's there's two bits in this that um in this match where one of which is um a lot more kind of a, a sort of realistic and impactful, which is I believe the thing you've just been talking about. But there's also the bit here in which I just love this because you can see Hashim Hashimov sort of like having to you know intuitively try and understand uh, pro wrestling, which he's still not that experienced in. Um, which is a a point when um he's uh, he, he's picking Takada up for another slam. Um, and he sort of uh, thinks on his feet um, and uh, uh, just to sort of, you know, to sort of really ramp up the uh, the, the peril um, and to sort of like uh, tease the audience. He just does a little, uh, a big spin with him. On his, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's, like, I, I like love that so much. It's fantastic. I mean, it's like great intuitive feeling for the pro wrestling style. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he's yeah. gonna be—he's gonna be—he's uh, gonna be pretty rusty as well because this is actually his yeah. first match since—is his first match since 1990. That's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, so as if like, he's been like you know training. I mean, he might have been doing some training before. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Know, I'm sure. I'm sure. Some, like, so I, I've gone through some ideas with with Takada and stuff, but it's still sort of like you know, and I I really like that. But it was a lovely little, little spot. Yeah, it's it's good. Like, still can't believe like the just the pure rage of him no selling the the water wheel drop, and then Takada <laughs> basically just goes straight to the finish, back up quickly, uh, counters a throw attempt into a judo trip, and then just locks in an armbar and uh, gets the tap. So yeah. kind of a kind of a weird finish. This match only went like um uh, eight and a half minutes, but like I I kind of never mind that about um about the style because although it's quite funny that um although they presented it as real wrestling and the crowd at least sort of give the impression of being into it as such. I remember there being, there's one show where Takada takes on, I want to say Bob Backlund in the main. And yeah, Backlund's notorious. Um, yeah. And the, or, match only, yeah. the match only went about, about 90 seconds. And you could tell the crowd were a little bit oh, pissed off for this. Wait, no, because there's, there's one Backlund the first time that uh, I did the, um, the, the PWO greatest wrestler ever poll. I I watched some of Backlund in Japan, and yeah, that's it. There's there's a, an original UWF match with Backlund. Yeah, yeah. Possibly against Takada. It might be against someone else. I can't remember. Which is very, very, very good. Like it um, it got on the DVD VR um, like a top twenty five UWF yeah. matches of all time. 
list. It's really good. But then there is a notorious uh, Backland tour after that where he goes to Japan and he takes part in the um, I- I- insane clusterfuck that is Bob Backland versus the Great Sasuke. Oh um, my God! Is is that part of the same? I tour don't. Is this Backland? What are you talking about? I think it was. Didn't Backland fetch up in Battle Arts at one point? Backland versus Backland versus Sasuke is the sort of thing they would have booked. Also, um, my, my favourite Battle Arts uh, booking is um, Jeff Hardy worked Battle Arts as Willow. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> you think you're fame, you need to pronounce his name correctly, which is Willow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what we have. Like... Uh, yeah, they they did this match um, in uh, UWFI, which was um, Takada versus Backlund. It went 90 seconds, and the crowd seemed a bit pissed, so they did a rematch the next month. So, like at some level, I think the crowd expect that even with the possibility of a quick finish, they kind of want to get their money's worth. I don't I'm think they do. Bit of contrarian here, right? I'm going to say this, right? Isn't a 90 second match more realistic than a 20 minute match? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Like I think it, it's either I think it's like sort of maybe you can make the case that they're both equally realistic because especially with the heavyweights, which mm. a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys were like big, big lads. Because like whenever there's a heavyweight title fight in UFC, it either goes three minutes or it goes twenty five minutes. Like yeah. there's nothing in between because like if they don't get a knockout in the first round, they're all just completely gassed, and then the next four rounds are a shite. I'm always reminded, always think about uh, Mike Tyson once fought at Hamden. I guess oh, a guy yes. I think it was. Uh, I think his name was uh, Louis Savarese. Yeah, Louis Savarese. Sa- that was it. Savarese. Yeah. And uh, this was infamous in that, like, at the time, it was one of the most like egregiously priced events at the time. A time where like you could buy a Champions League final ticket for like twenty quid and stuff like that, right? Uh, but they absolutely rinsed everyone on this. And there was like, my my dad's friend worked as security, and he was put in the vip box and people had paid like four figures for these seats and they're sitting there and they're like yep there we go the big fight this is what i'm here for and he literally knocked him out in like 20 seconds and they fucking lost their shit they famously had like sort of um uh, uh sort of uh, promoters had sort of like worried um um sort of meetings about how to best promote Tyson fights because there was um, a sort of there was a theory that the pay per view buys would be immense because everyone wanted to just see you know uh, see how quickly you could knock someone out and that was kind of like part of the um, the appeal of it but obviously like you said David prices for live events were rapidly increasing and you had to also try and cater to a bunch of people that expected a little bit more than twenty seconds out of the four hundred quid they'd well, paid or whatever well, do you know what I mean well I mean that's literally the plot of that Simpsons episode. Yeah, with uh, Homer Simpson syndrome. Yeah, like because like Frederick Tatum's based on Mike Tyson. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I have to I have to ask what these people were thinking is like. Oh, Mike Tyson, notorious like quick yeah. finisher against journeyman American boxer Lou Savarese. I bet this is going to go the full twelve rounds. Yeah, I mean it's the kind of thing where if you've got the money to spunk on it, you should, but you shouldn't expect fucking. You know, like no, you uh, it, 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 it to go beyond of, the first uh, second round. The, the rule of play stupid games win stupid prizes is, is in effect, I would argue. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, speaking of um, sort of mismatched uh, 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 people, um, right, I'm going to ask you a question. Who do you guys think is the better worker in this match? Ooh, um, I think in terms of 
in terms of Takada, Takada always blows hot and cold for me, like at a lot Absolutely. of points. I think that like, I mean, he's like, you know, you you can see why he was the top star in the company. He's like, he's a he's a big, handsome guy. He's got a lot of charisma about him. Uh, they booked him strongly. That always helps. Uh, and, you know, he was a he was a big name because of the stuff he'd done in UWF in the 80s and uh, and uh, his involvement in the um, various New Japan UWF angles with Maeda. Um, but I certainly think guys like Kazuo Yamazaki or Masahito Kakahara or uh, even Yoji Anjo were sort of more reliably good in terms of their work. Much as I like, I, I love all the big Takada title matches. Um, like the ones, yeah. against, the ones against Vader are all fantastic. Excellent, um, yeah. I think this is a kind of, it's a fairly minor entry in the canon. Are you, why, are you going to be all contrarian and say that Hashimikov is the better worker? Yeah. Oh cool. yeah, I I mean I yeah, don't like, want to uh, sit I'm... here and sound like one of those people that phones up uh, Clyde Super Scoreboard and says that Celtic were by far the more dominant team yesterday, even though they get beat one yeah. 0 Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's I think as well, like like Takada, obviously he is you know Mister UWFI at this point. He is the guy. He he works that style. Hashmikov brought a slightly different style to 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 sort of distinguish it from other UWFI matches that maybe you, you wouldn't necessarily got if you had like say a Yamazaki or something like that or an Angel um, so no like, it's, it's just such a unique style that it, work, it worked really well and it brings a great flavour to the match yeah totally like I absolutely agree I think the thing for me with Takada is that like you said the highs are pretty high but I actually feel like he's only and this isn't just me this isn't something you know, this is quite a common uh, uh, sort of a, a thread when people talk about Takada, but I, I do agree with it. It's that I feel like he's only really the better worker in the handful of the matches that he, he is sort of fettered for or that are, or that are notable. Um, and I think that I was thinking about this while I was watching it, and I think what it is is that he doesn't have what I would describe as sort of like the the, the subtlety or like the kind of unshowy ingenuity when it comes to like psychology or, or whatever of like, say, this is not really fair because he's not working there. I don't think at the same time. It could be actually now, of someone like say Tamura at his peak um, in, in in rings. I just want to mention Tamura all the time. I just think he's, he's the best shoot worker ever. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and um, someone like Tamura, for example, in his matches, he's got this ability to sort of like um, imaginatively sort of transition either physically or psychologically into something different that 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 keeps people uh, guessing, that keeps them uh, on the edge of their seats in terms of unpredictability. Um, you know, uh, but for me, Takada has this thing where when he runs out of ideas, it's outside leg kick, inside leg kick for almost a kind of cheap pop, and then head kicking corner, opponent goes down for a little bit, gets the heat back on them, has, a, has another comeback, and that's kind of like the, the structure that he always returns to when he's run out of ideas. And I do find it, a little bit tiresome, and um, I think especially when you compare it to, 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 I'd say there's five, six, seven, eight, probably ten shoot-style workers that I think are just more entertaining than him and more consistent, um, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Takada, he's, he's a guy who paints in broad strokes mm. um, in, in a way that you could argue is, like, I guess more appropriate for the sort of big fight feel of of this kind of match than the kind of I guess more subtle stuff you would uh, find in the undercard because it, like this out of the shoot style promotions that were going on at this time this is kind of I mean PWFG was just 
fucking weird. But like this is the this yeah. is the one which is is the least pure of the shoot style promotions. Yeah. So in that sense, you could understand it. But yeah, I completely get if um, if the card is in your bag compared to some of uh, some of his other contemporaries. Um, you know, I I, I I I completely understand that. I would I wouldn't say this is um, a this isn't a classic or anything. But like I just kind of really enjoyed just seeing uh, Hashmikov in this uh, in this setting. Oh yeah, I love Hashimikov in this. He makes the match for me. He's well, he's the, he's the man in this. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you love Salman Hashimikov because we are about to uh, review another match of his. So uh, this next match is uh, same same company and it is the 5th of December 1993. It is a uh, tag team match. I think tag team matches in shoot style promotions are kind of a little bit little bit strange. Um, yeah. But um, wait till you hear about the uh, the teams in this. So it is a uh, USSR versus America exhibition it is samuel hashmikov and vladimir burkovich versus get a load of this american team dan seven and gary a genuine menace albright oh, oh lordy lads lads they come when in. i when i when i knew when i discovered we were going to watch this oh it was christmas day it was new <laughs> year's day it was all hallows eve it was you know it, it was chinese new year it was uh, mufti day it was all that rolled into one uh, uh, to be honest, for me, yeah. uh, it, just oh, the I amount of we, times we've talked about Gary Albright on the podcast, I think it's the first time we've actually reviewed one of his matches. Is it? Have we not done another one previously? I'm pretty sure we haven't. It, it is really handy that this ah. um, Hashmikov is able to get a bit of revenge for the time Gary Albright made him pass out at the Royal Albert Hall in that Fed. It's nice of them to have a rematch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, oh my uh, god. This what fucking... what? I think we could just review this by um, doing like, just having us all see the word lads and then loop it like Steve Reich uh, for 20 minutes <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> and I think that would be a perfectly apt review of this match. This match is fucking dynamite. It, it's it, great it, stuff. It's like, um, so the, I don't, did, did you guys watch the version which has the promos beforehand? I uh... No, mine didn't have promos beforehand. Yes. I don't think. Yeah, because uh, I yeah, the one I watched was like a few minutes longer than the. We had a bit. I, we had a bit of a panic just before recording when I checked cage match and realised uh, these two teams have actually had two matches in ULUFI. But um, we uh, we we realised we'd all watched the same one, so that's fine. But the video I watched uh, had the promos beforehand. So Berkovic actually cuts a promo in English. And uh, I think I think he's translating what uh, Hashimikov is saying. Hashimikov is speaking in Russian. Ah. Uh, with this extremely sassy look on his face. I would very yeah. much recommend going to look at him. Like it's uh, it's great stuff. Uh, All Bright and Seven come out to Thunderstruck by ACDC, which is uh, which is extreme extremely good. Noted uh, American patriotic rock band uh, ACDC. <laughs> and um, and it, when we were um, when we were chatting before recording earlier basically all three of us were forming each uh, falling over each other like the three studios to make the same observation which is that uh, dan seven who is known as having big dad energy <laughs> with tash uh, as you might know from his runs in U- uh, ufc and uh, wf uh, but he's got a beard here and he looks a lot like jerry adams <laughs> yeah well yeah a particularly hench version of the much more wiry framed jerry adams uh, yeah, yes, I, yeah. I, you can, yeah i i imagine they uh, they dubbed over his promo with a deeper voice Yes. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, um, wouldn't have Jerry any problems Adams... lifting up the boxes the same ticks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if our Jerry had uh, been quite this particularly proficient, then the uh, four decades long uh, conflict in the north of Ireland might have been over a lot quicker. <laughs> uh, I think, this, to, be, uh, to be honest. Um, this is a, you know. like, I mean, Dan Seven, like I said, big dad energy with a moustache. With beard, he is a handsome fucker, let me tell you. Well, like, I was. 
He looks yeah. at every Scottish headmaster of the <laughs> 90s. Like, every, you wow. go to high school and you look at it, you, you meet the headmaster, they all look like him uh, or, or Martin Wolfie Adams from the Darts. And it's, well, it's very much an amalgam. Another great habit. I mean, all, all I'm saying is that if the headmasters in English schools in the 90s look anything like that, my mum would have been doing a lot more laundry. Um, <laughs> now... I was going to say my thought process was basically like, oh, Dan, 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 Dan Seven uh, looks looks great with a beard. It's like, oh no, do I fancy Jerry Adams? And then, <laughs> mind you, wouldn't be the most the most problematic George. person I'd admitted on this podcast to finding attractive by a long shot. George, 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 welcome to the club. It's fine. <laughs> it's you know, it's all right. Now, look, I I'm not going to lie. I was extremely discombobulated by by the by the vision of, of seven with, with a beard i, I forgot that about the period in his life where he, he, he had a beard because for me dan seven's either tash or no tash and there is nothing but betwixt like do you know what i mean so that that was a bit a bit worrying uh, to be honest um but the other thing about this is is that um i i'd, I'd also forgotten that these two guys had ever teamed together um, and so I, w- I was very very excited about this and i think what made me extra excited was the fact that this match opens with like the kind of sort of unique flavor that Gary Albright always brings, which is just this like unhinged out the gate intensity and believability where he just sort of like flings himself in a kind of sumo style flurry of like hands and sort of like belly, uh, 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 you know, uh, towards his opponent. Um, and um, they're not really doing anything or hitting each other as such. They're just jockeying for position. But it's the most intense jockeying for position you've ever seen in your life. It's fabulous stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're mostly just doing, uh, well, sort of collar and elbow shit and like clinches yeah. in this but match. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's so how, intense. How intense it I mean, Albright, Albright's a big fucker. He's like 350 oh, pounds. He was a you know credentialed amateur wrestler yeah. from the time before they put in the so-called Steve Williams rule where there was a maximum weight for uh, for contest. Yes. I, think, I think we mentioned this on the previous episode. Uh, but by that at that point you can basically be as big as you want and uh, he used that to his full advantage and uh yeah. seven um if you if you're familiar with mma you know he's, he's something of a legend of uh early ufc um there's actually um he is indirectly the reason for Minoru Minor suzuki winning the king of pancreas title in a worked match against yeah. uh, ken shamrock because um shamrock was about to have a fight in the ufc against dan the beast seven um I, I i i think it was the notorious um the notorious half hour draw it, it, uh, it is it's, it's yeah. the one where they had to rearrange the venue I think because of some yes. um, uh, was it was it because of pressure from the state that they were having it in that they were think, yeah. specifically John McCain uh, lobbying. That's right. It was famously. But, but, yeah, but he's John, dead now, yeah. so fuck him. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, so the and um, so before that fight happened, um, although it obviously was uh, they didn't need to do this um, in in hindsight, but um, Pancrase had uh, Shamrock drop their belt in a works match to Minoru Suzuki because uh, if their guy lost to a fighter who worked for another company and a company that built themselves as pro wrestling, no less, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't make Pancrase look very good. So that's, be- um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, it's, it's quite, it's, it's a very interesting thing having these two guys together, actually, because there's like, I mean, obviously there's the, the amateur wrestling background that they both share. So there's that. Um, but, you know, also there's like a lot in their sort of background as well, where like, you know, Albright, um, like you said, we haven't spoken about him before, so I'll, I'll maybe give a little, a small bit more information about about Gary Albright for those who who don't know much about mm. him. Uh, so obviously, he's a, 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 an American lad who would work mainly um, in Japan, but also notably at the start of his career in Canada for Stampede. And he actually began to contemplate 
becoming a professional wrestler after he uh, began to take advice from none other than the uh, the, the triumvirate that we spoke of previously, of uh, Billy Robinson, Danny Hodge, and various other guys who'd done the pro game as well. Um, and the link there is that those guys also advised Seven on his transition from amateur uh, ah. to, to, to pro. So that, that that's kind of an interesting thing going on there. Um, and it's quite sad, really, because Gary Albright died um, 20-odd years ago. I think he died, oh, fuck, I, I'm sorry, I've, I've just pulled it up there. He died on January the 7th, which is my birthday. Um, like, Happy uh, birthday. Yeah, Happy I know, birthday. yeah. Terrible. Like, in 2000, of a heart attack. And then it's unfortunately one of the um, the wrestlers who died um, uh, pretty much in the ring, or just after he, he was in the ring um, uh, as well. So he's up there with sort of um, Misawa um, and sort of Paraguayo for sort of tragedies in, in ring. But was generally, from what I know, and I don't, you know, I'm not a huge reader of sheets or anything like that, but was was, was sort of quite well regarded amongst the wrestling fraternity, um, married into the famous Anoi um, uh, uh, wrestling family. Oh, did he really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, he, so, so basically, um, so his wife is the daughter of, I can't remember what, either Afra or Seeker. I can't remember which. Yeah, yeah. But, so that makes him obviously, um, you know, related uh, uh, in an, it's, to sort of, you know, Roman Reigns, uh, the Usos, the Rock, Rikishi, uh, which is quite cool as well. So he sort of married into wrestling royalty as well. Yeah, like uh, um, he himself had a pretty great amateur career as well, which, um, you know, he, he doesn't look in particularly great shape. He's massive, but, you know, he was like um, he was like a runner up at NCAA level. He competed in like both freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling. So he was quite diverse. He was on like the U.S. national team. And loads of other things really like a state champion and stuff and and various things so um, yeah like a, a really interesting background um trained like i said by uh, robinson hodge and, and thez at various different points um and uh, yeah worked um a a villainous um uh, um uh, invading foreign heel gimmick in stampede as vokan singh uh, oh wow yeah yeah which is quite quite interesting did he have any did he have any like indian heritage I don't think so. <laughs> no, do you know, know what it maybe was? Was he maybe? Was it because of Tiger Jeet Singh? Is it ah. maybe because Tiger Jeet Singh, Tiger Alex Singh, well, made all from that area? So you just assume that they've just put him with them well, as like an enforcer sort of thing. That's what I was thinking because obviously there was also um, uh, Mukum Singh as well, who yeah. was um, you know so the, that whole sort of um uh, manufactured uh, sort of sing yeah <laughs> uh, uh, fun, uh, name in wrestling fun fun ifed trivia i once um, had el gigante part of the sing family he was um lost in a match he lost a match where he was turned into their slave <laughs> and he became gigante <laughs> sing uh, for a couple of weeks and he just like crushed jobbers to upset tiger jeet sing and then he turned on them with the iron claw and it was just in the same brawl does, um, does, does, do you think el gigante had an only fans <laughs> <laughs> and it was just him in the body seat from WrestleMania 9. <laughs> yeah. In various uh, different uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, poses, yeah. The, uh, I, I feel we were straight off topic somewhat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the uh, so um, I sorry. Mean, back to Gary Albright in this match, anyway. <laughs> yeah. These are these are these are four big boys, as we have said. Dan Seven is billed oh. at 270 pounds. He's the lightest. Uh, Berkovich still has uh, the uh, CCCP or USSR on his gear in 1993, which I appreciate a lot. Still still fighting the fight, just like the just like the lads over in Transnistria. Um, so as as we have uh, stated previously, a lot of this match it 
it, this is like the most realistic big lad shoot style fight because like sometimes when you watch this stuff like i would say mo- for the most part shoot style is like the worst style for human conquers matches because like um takada yeah. versus takada versus all blight great takada versus vader great vader versus all blight eh, not so much um yeah. whereas this match is kind of the best um example of form because it's not them just like doing extremely slow-paced mat work as they try to maneuver their massive bodies over each other this is just it's just like bulls just locking horns like yeah, that, yeah. that 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 is basically what it is uh, in this match like it's um it's uh, it's 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 great fun like as a as a spectacle it's it's mostly just like the the the, the, the funny bit at the start is all right like literally attacks Hashimikov right as the bell is happening and the ref is already having to try and separate them Oh, the the ref is Brilliant. he's had a mare on this match. He's absolutely he should have got a job. he had to get a yellow out early doors. He showed showed him who's in charge here and he, he never did. He was too lenient and they, they ran rough shod over him. Completely misses it. a closed palm strike at one point two. Disgraceful. As <laughs> <laughs> Luther's at ringside just silently fuming. Yeah. Writing <laughs> down his notes for the FA <laughs> <laughs> to Danny Enver Hodger. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, like I, I love it. Right, so I've always talked about it before. I've mentioned it several times uh, before. My favourite thing in a wrestling match is a sense of struggle. I don't feel that yes. normal wrestling does a sense of struggle anymore. The Kawada-Timothy get... Thatcher principle. Exactly, yes. yep. So you should absolutely be writhing about. You should be struggling. You should be trying to get out. And you oh, should look agree. sore. Whereas we get Alberto Del Rio locking on the armbar to show the locker room who's, who's number one. And then <laughs> he just gets the ropes. Is sending a message. It's, the it's fucking homie is a professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> the messenger. Um, so, the, um, but in this match, it's all struggle. There, it's it's yeah. There, there, there's no there's no point where it doesn't feel like they're absolutely like they go in for this this opening hold, go to the ropes, and the referees are right. Mong lads, let's break up. And they're just like, no. And they just keep growing. And then it's just like hands and skin slapping each other. Just, but not like a slap in the face, but literally just trying to grab a hold of each other like a proper, mm. like an actual fight between two civilian people who cannot fight where they're trying to grab each other and stuff. Yeah. And they can't be separated. And this whole match is just that of just them being fat lads trying to basically fight each other. But because they're quite big and cumbersome, they they struggle with the fact that they're big lads and yeah it's 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 great i love it the main story of this match that i kind of identified was that um i i I think i mentioned on episode 24 about like um i always had this impression that Berkovich was not especially dynamic and then i was quite impressed by him in his match with the fujinami at the dome and i was like why i was thinking why did i think that Berkovich like didn't really do that much that was flashy and then i watched this match like ah that's why yeah. Um, because like mostly like i would say berkovich is about three moves in this entire match like he is but like the thing is about him is that he he spaces them out so that when he actually does do something which for the most part he isn't but like when he does it really it really has an effect so that um there's, i mean there's the bit where he gets really frustrated with seven and tries to kick him in the ass um that that happens yeah. on uh on two occasions but there's there's moments in which um like berkovich is sort of 
he, he's sort of selling his, his frustration. And actually, even uh, Hashimikov, there's a point which he like slaps the turnbuckle because Berkovich is not really getting the best of his um, opponent. So it's like, man, your tag partner is uh, selling the frustration that you're not really able to get anything going. And then, um, but there's a couple of points in which Berkovich just absolutely fucking drops his opponent with like a slap or a, a punch to the gut at one point. Which yeah. Uh, yeah, he just hits seven in the stomach and then uh, and then like sends in sprawling and that's something I was like looking like uh, Anthony Agogo's AEW finisher where oh, like a, bu- a bunch of a bunch of VLs online was like oh that's not very realistic it's like what a uh, like an Olympic boxer punching you in the stomach like no 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 of course mate that's uh, no they should uh, they should uh, they should do a DDT <laughs> has, has Anthony Agogo even been on TV that much since that what since the Cody match. Yeah. No, not at all. I don't know what he's up to. Yeah, I was gonna say. So, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I only started watching AEW again regularly a couple of weeks before the Punk debut. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's a funny one. Um, but you were talking about Berkovich there. Now, I missed the opportunity to be able to do this in the last pod- podcast. Uh, so I'm gonna reprise the bit that I did uh, in the first recording uh, because the name Berkovich for me conjures up many things. Uh, mainly <laughs> hal- the halcyon days of Kevin Keegan in the dugout. Ali Banabia in midfield alongside him, the goat up front, just absolutely suicidally attacking intent from one of the most fun city sides I've ever seen. Also, a name uh, not averse to being kicked in the face, albeit this time he's not being physically assaulted at work by John Hartson. Um, so that's another deep cut for you there, lads. Yeah. Um, uh, and also the favourite Israeli footballer of the protagonist in the Striker novel by Steve Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> but, do, you know, do you know this bit where like um they they realised that the the terror, spoilers by the way if you are going to read the Steve Bruce yeah. novel but they realised that the there's one of them where they um there's like a, like a sort of a group of shady terrorists who are like causing lots of havoc at the football club and he realises that um, that it's Mossad and the reason he realises yes. is he asked them what who their favourite footballer is and they reply Ayel <laughs> <Ayo> Berkovich. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, lads, but I immediately wrote a letter to my CLP demanding that um, uh, Steve Bruce be, uh, be, 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 <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Has Steve Bruce even read the AHRC report? Uh, I don't think so. Um, oh, God. Uh, right. So here, this is a thing I was, I was, I was, I was, I was going to mention here. So, um, one thing I liked about this match um, is that, um, you know, you, all, you got Albright and Seven in a team. And uh, I like the fact that they're coaching each other from the sidelines. Oh, yes. Uh, they're sort of, they're, they're calling, there's a point where Albright's like calling for the cross face. He's like, come on, Dan, put me in the cross face. And then there's another bit where he's like, he, he, he's constantly saying to Seven, stay on your toes, stay on your toes. It's like, it's a, it's a great touch of authenticity that I really like. Because obviously the other lads in the match might be doing the same thing, but I don't understand them. So because these guys, um, you know, are doing it in English, it's um, it, I, I like it. It really does add to the sort of, you know, because uh, you don't hear that often in tag matches in wrestling. They'll do that horrible thing where they'll just gesture, but they don't actually say anything sometimes. And you just think, like, instead of hitting the fucking turnbuckle and giving it all that, like, you know, why don't you actually just, like, shout something out? Like, you know, it's more realistic. I like that. Is the Phil Ian McCall here, isn't it? Um, coaching Moniang from the sidelines through mm. the game. It's, it's, very, it's very good. Yeah, I, I, I do love it. I mean, don't get it enough in 
in wrestling these days. I'm not yeah. a Kinect fan. This makes me sound like I'm a Kinect fan because I just kept talking about the old days and about how modern wrestling doesn't do what I want it to do. I think like, the other main through line is, and this is something I always love about uh, about Gary Albright's uh, wrestling in uh, in in this company because like he 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 went to all Japan uh, after yeah uh, UWFI closed his doors. He kind of, he kind of never really sort of clicked with the uh, with the house style there, which is like sort of very different to what he did. He kind of never rose really above. The mid cards. Um, he, he has a. In, doesn't he have the great match with Kawada though? There. Yes, he does. But like that. That's that, that's a really good match. A, but yeah. like that's it's basically yeah. that and like not a whole load else. But yeah, like, that's pretty much the best thing he does by far. Yeah. 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 But like the thing that uh, thanks for reminding me about that match. By the way, I need to need to give that a rewatch. But uh, <laughs> the, the the thing that he um does in the shoot style matches that I really like and kind of makes him stand out is that there's not many guys on the roster who had what you could term a finisher mm. and um and gary albright uh he he does and the reason you know he does is because he spends a lot of this match working towards doing it his finisher is the dragon suplex yeah. which is you know, hardly a shoot style technique but um if you want some fun just find some videos of like gary albright's early matches in the promotion where he's just dragon suplexing jobbers to death within like a minute like <laughs> it's it's incredible He's the original um, Suplex City bitch guy. Like, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Is. yeah. He, he's, he's pretty much the original human suplex machine, you know? Like, he's the... He's, he's, no, he's, he's great at that. And, like, like all of the time in this match, it's... You know, the, the standard spot that we've talked about, like, uh, Berkovich and Hashmikov do in this match so often is they, they do a kind of throw and then they go to a sort of side head and arm choke type, mm. uh, type thing. Uh, pretty much something very similar to the Anaconda Vice. Like that's the submission that they uh they liked, or as Michael Cole would call it, great submission by CM Punk. Um, yes. And uh, <laughs> whereas Albright, when he d- manages to execute a throw, and you know, there's there's a moment where he just does a absolutely fucking horrendous German on uh, on Hashimikov, but like he won't go for that submission. He'll get their back, and then he'll lock in a kind of grounded full Nelson, and he'll try yeah. he'll try and hold them up by their arms to get them in position for the dragon suplex and the story of this match really is Albright trying this on a number of occasions and his opponents uh, managing to block it and uh, because if you get dragon suplex by Gary Albright that's fucking it you know that that was sold as the deadliest move in the company pretty much yeah and and the audience like like uh is aware of that you know and it's like and that really helps the match as well Every suplex he does, they pop like crazy for it. Like, oh yeah, know? that's the thing. If you space them out, they're few and far between. Like, yeah. and, you make, and you make them a big thing, then like you you will you will get the pop for it if the crowd are educated in that style. But it kind of it is kind of very funny when we talk about like this being the most sort of pro style of the shoot style companies. Uh, in that, like, yeah, like no no one in UFC has a finisher. You know, they 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 have te- some have techniques that they are known for using. They but, tried it with Ronda Rousey for a period. Uh, yeah, look how that worked out. But yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, so like it's sorry, um, sorry. That, that that should be the greatest striker in UFC history, Ronda Rousey. <laughs> Come on, boy, go to school. Oh uh, god. So that's that, and that, that's basically the story of this match, and it's really good. So it's basically like yeah, bulls locking horns. Gary Albright yeah. trying to do the dragon suplex. Berkovich does about three strikes and in, in the entire match, or like three moves in the entire match, and they're all absolutely deadly. And um, the the finish is extremely funny because it was very much the um, Chochish Billy versus Anoki that we um, 
uh, we talked about on the previous episode where it's like, ah, I, I will win match now. <laughs> and basically yes. um, seven kicks Berkovic in the corner a few times. And uh, this is the point at which Berkovic drops him with the punch to the gut, kicks him in the arse again. Love when he does that. Hits a suplex and then Hashimoto gets tagged in. Uh, sorry, not Hashimoto. That would be, uh, that'd be very weird. Like, uh, <laughs> that, Transmogrified that, into Shinya that, Hashimoto. That, and, and, that, and that's the, that's the real New Japan UWFI invasion storyline. Uh, Hashimikov, I should say, uh, comes in, does a belly to belly, water wheel drop, and then taps seven out with a head, head and arm choke. So just like, yeah, so comprehensive. It's like, yeah, Berkovich has softened him up with the punch to the tummy. And then Hashimikov comes in, does a bunch of moves and wins. Great. Uh, yeah, no, it's just great stuff. I mean, I should point out that as much as we've praised this match, that I did identify a section in the sort of, just before the last sort of stretch, I think it was. There is a section when uh, uh, there's Albright and Berkovich are in there together. And I'll be honest, I know they, do, the section you're talking about. they do look a bit gassed. Um, yeah. And it looks like footage from a kind of custom-made jazz film produced by a company <laughs> called like Lycra Sweat Bears Industries or something. <laughs> but then, there is a then I checked sh- the name of the person that uploaded this onto YouTube and thought, well, that actually matches up because the uploader is called Bold and Vigorous. There, um, is, there is a moment when they're in the they're in, they're in this sort of grappling phase. At one point, Albright's trying to get like a headlock on him. And he's just cuddling him in his yes. arms, just holding him, like in his arm, and they're just gazing at each other. And you're like, yeah. "This is quite sweet, actually." It, it, it's quite erotic. Because <laughs> it, I was like, because going first, I was like, "This is what I like. This is this is wrestling. This is men being men." I was, yeah. like, you know, this is this is the most cishet thing ever. And then suddenly, it's, the yeah. sweet embrace. <laughs> it's, it, it's it's what a Guardian film re- review might refer to as being powerfully erotic. <laughs> um now 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 lads just to sort of go as far away from powerfully erotic as possible i did have a pretty horrifying realization for me during this stage of the match as well when the camera cut back to dan seven and i realized why the beard made me feel quite so uncomfortable it wasn't the jerry adams thing i'd be fine with that um but i actually realized who seven reminded me personally of here and it was a kind of sort of like Samuel Delaney, Chena Mieville style plot device in which there's this like supercharged, toxically modified super soldier version of Peter Sutcliffe. Oh, um, Sarah really said that as well. Like and when, when it, I had on the telly earlier. Yeah. And it did freak me out of it. Uh, you know, I was like, oh my God, it's like a, the Yorkshire Ripper carrying out the nefarious orders of a supervillain. Um, but like, you know, but overall, I have to say that the, the main takeaway I took from this match, other than it being very good, was just an intense desire to visit a carvery. You know, I think it probably could have benefited from being a few minutes shorter. Like they had a, uh, these yeah. two teams, actually, the, the previous match they'd had went about 13 minutes as opposed to 17. And I think I've seen that match as well. And like Berkovich does a, does a hell of a lot more in that one. And I think it's a bit snappier. And uh, But like I think this match is probably, although it's not as good as the other match, I think it's sort of a, a better illustration of what yeah. a lot of what these guys ended up being about in uh, UWFI, which was just being big lads and doing big lad things. And, yeah. uh, and, it, and it was a lot of fun. No, absolutely. As, as I described it as, it's a classic piece of big boys bingo slab fighting. Now, now, I've actually, I'm going to bring it unannounced here to the, to the, to the other, to the, the other lads. Oh, this could go either way. I'm now, I'm now going to shoehorn in a new feature. Um, <laughs> oh, now God. we'll think of a name for this later on. Uh, but this um, is um, a, a new feature in which um, our loyal listeners can win themselves a prize. 
Okay. From the so, mind that brought us sexy changing rooms. Continue. Exactly. And, and the mind that brought us Baz's biggest whoppers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So now, um, as I've said before, on a couple of occasions on this podcast, and referred to several times before when we've seen big lads fighting, um, you know, I like to call it big boys bingo. Okay. So that's a couple of references now. Okay. Uh, to big boys bingo. However, I've also made reference in this show as well to a Northwest England based sitcom Phoenix Knights. Now, now, the link here is that Big Boys Bingo as a phrase is taken from another Northwest English set sitcom. And the Ooh. challenge here, okay, for the lucky listeners, yeah, is uh, that they must DM us uh, with the answer to the question which Northwest based sitcom does Dan borrow the phrase Big Boys Bingo from? Now, here's the prize, okay, here's what you can win. Now, I will send a signed photo of myself to the lucky <laughs> listener. Now, nothing blue, nothing blue. I'm not, I'm not running a fucking knocking shop here, lads. Okay. <laughs> far, far be it, far be it from us to uh, think that of you, considering you have said no. on this podcast you will gape on camera for fifty pounds. I mean, yeah, but that's, look, hey, look, sex work is work, lads. Like that's, uh, you know, like that's this, this is different. For that. Yeah, that's yeah, lame. yeah. This, this, I'm doing this in my leisure time. Right, well, okay, I, I, well so, I don't know because some 15 year old TikTok teen uh, said that Mark's failed to consider uh, sex work so therefore yes yeah <laughs> uh, e- even even though there'll be nothing blue in the photo whatsoever in classic TV fashion I must say you must be 18 years of age to take part in this competition or have permission of a parent um, <laughs> so um, yeah yeah so DM us with the answer to that question where do I get the phrase big boys bingo from it's a northwest sitcom uh, 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 and you can uh, you can win a signed photo of myself what more could you want <laughs> exactly um i tell you what more i could want the um the uh the afters uh between hashimikov and albright oh. in this match i i looked it up this did not lead to a singles match uh between the two and the two of them never had a singles match and uh i feel that's a great shame uh hashimikov's next opponent uh was big van vader oh. like fucking like i don't about, know if i've seen that or have I, I? No, I i don't think i have but like talk about the sort of uh, the past and the future of uh, you know big men, uh, big men foreign heels in uh, in UWFI. Also, you I I once should... in a lifetime again after <laughs> IWGP title clash. Oh fuck, of course, yes, yeah. So um, I um, I would also um, point you towards what was the next suggested video for me on YouTube, which was uh, Gary Albright and Kazuo Yamazaki versus Vader and John Tenter. I have seen that. I, I I had completely forgotten Tenter was in uh, was in UWFI, so uh, I do I do love that UWFI are like right. We need to get some foreign guys in, right? Who is the fattest men that you can get? <laughs> like I I need I need the fastest guys in that you have. No, that's too fat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah yeah, like it's exactly what I would do. Go, I need some foreigners. In. What is Earthquake doing? What is Vader doing? Gary Albright, is he free? Um, just... Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, uh, Earthquake obviously had a lot of notoriety for his sumo career uh, in Japan. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, I, yeah, obviously he's a natural guy. It's like, yeah, you've got people from other fighting disciplines. How about sumo? And they had um, a noted man who had a Barney with John Tenter in Koji Katao. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, Takada basically hilariously KTFOing him after uh, Katow insist, uh, like basically refused to job and Takada's like we'll fucking see about that mate <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> couldn't happen to a nicer guy oh yeah no Koji Katow is for like a myriad of reasons a gigantic cunt <laughs> like, four signs 
While I would never usually um, countenance taking liberties on on an opponent, contrary to the agreed uh, you know finish to a match, I would say in that case, yes, absolutely, do it. <laughs> in that case, it was very very funny. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, so that brings us to the uh, final match. Now we only were planning to do actually two. Uh, matches from UWFI on this episode, but I had forgotten that actually it's uh, Hashmikov taking with Berkovich in that match rather than Zangiev. I thought it was Zangiev and Berkovich, so I was like, okay, well we have to have a Zangiev match, obviously. He's the, he's the other member of the of the triad that were brought in from Russia to uh, UWFI at this time, and uh, so basically I uh, googled Viktor Zangiev UWFI. And what should I find, lads? But and I'm so yeah, I'm so happy we get to talk about this guy again. Third of March, 1994, Victor Zangiev versus Yoji Anjo. Oh. Can we call this? This is officially the PPP derby, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think I'm right in saying that Zangief is probably our favourite of all the Soviet shooters. He's mine yeah. anyway. Yeah, 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 I, I think yeah. He, would be, he would be most people's. Excellent. Um, and, yeah. and the reason for that is because he fucking rules. Um, so this is a match that, and like Yoji Anjo, it's uh, it's easy to forget uh, before he became this uh, figure of fun. I mean, you know, ably abetted by ourselves at various points in the run of this podcast. Easy to but, forget, also easy to laugh at. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but like Anjo was a, uh, he's quite a big deal in in the company. He well, was like, you see this. But they, they, they kind of undercut your point by showing his record. And it's oh, like God, 7 yeah, and 13. <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, it's um, uh, 8, 8, 12, 8, 12 and 1, uh, which is uh, still much better than he did in MMA. <laughs> but, um, uh, so, yeah, that, that's a fake sport. He can't get a good win yeah, loss record. I know. Uh, he comes out in his zebra pants, this weird lo-fi hip-hop. Um, well, well, before that, though, before that, though, they further diminish his aura by... Did you guys see the backstage video that genuinely feels like an ISIS hostage video? <laughs> no. <laughs> right, well, my... Ver- I think I watched the Russian Bushido version on YouTube again, right, for this one. And uh, there's just... It, it's a backstage video that literally... It's just, it's just Anjo from the neck up filmed um uh, uh, in sort of an indiscernible location uh, um just like and he's got this like this sort of bizarre kind of like sort of like preternaturally maudlin air of like calamity and like bleakness that like you only ever see in real life at like funerals or workplace disciplinaries that could lead to a dismissal <laughs> it's it's, it's like doing... it's ridiculous like it, he looks so sort of like put upon Yoji Anjo giving an interview to Dabik saying that he's uh, he's 100% confident of victory. Yep. Uh, it's just really yeah, weird. I, I, um, I took the liberty of translating his interview and it says, <laughs> um, so I, 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 a lot of it was for Google Translate and um, it says, I am safe. Um, I have been well fed and watered. Um, to my family, I love you. Um, yeah. My captors have uh, reiterated that they will not negotiate and that they will only accept the full terms laid out in their previous communique. Um, I love you. And I believe that's what yeah. he said. And, I may have yeah, and, 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 and victory to the uh, Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really hope no one clips that out of context. No, fuck no. It's a good job we're not using Audacity for this, considering like they, oh, uh, they're now going to be sending your recordings to the US State Department or whatever the fuck they're yeah. doing. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> terrible. Uh, so, like, 
<laughs> I uh, know if he's got to run another stadium show sometime. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I'm, I'm not a member of the Labour Party, but if I was, all I've said is just in line with the uh, party policy of, um, of, uh, of uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, of breaking bread with the Taliban. <laughs> we, need to, we need to hold the Taliban to account. Keir Starmer is putting yeah. the Taliban on notice. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm calling out the Taliban right here, right now. Yeah. All right. Like, have some accountability, Taliban. Keir Starmer calling out they have alpacas in the Taliban. That's why he's suddenly so. Keir Starmer calling out the Taliban is basically the equivalent of that uh, that blue meanie segment uh, where he just comes out like a badass and goes, Shamrock, get your ass out of here right now, and then Ryan Shamrock comes out. Amazing. <laughs> so um, Zankiev uh, here, he's uh, 34 years old now, so he's actually in his third. He still looks about 56. Um, if anything, he's even hairier than in his New Japan run. And in the picture yeah. they used for the video package, he looks weirdly like Eddie Marsan with a tash. Yes. I, I would actually love um, to see uh, Victor Zangiev at a Zone 2 Liberal dinner party, in that I would like to see Zangiev put everyone at a Zone 2 Liberal dinner party in an armbar. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or, or just have Marsan play Zangief in the uh, the Showtime biopic of his <laughs> of his life because like the annoying thing about Eddie Marsden is that he's a massive cunt but he is quite a good actor uh, which is yeah, yeah. quite annoying. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll separate the art from the artist as the as uh, yeah, as the, yeah. the, as the, yeah. Um, so uh, anyone who listens to this will have to. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the match, um, I mean, really the the as much as I love Hashmikov. Um, and I, I, I think he's really fun to watch. Uh, Zangiev was just like takes it to the next level in terms of his oh. dynamism. Like it's whereas Hashimikov is, and you know they're different sized guys. Hashimikov is more of a immovable object vibe. Uh, but uh, Zangiev is going in like an animal for these leg picks and fireman's so uh, fireman's carries. The first thing that happens in the match, Anjo peppers him with strikes and then just gets suplexed. Um, it's uh, like Zankiev is oh, he's basically the opposite of Takada in that uh, Hicks and Gracie fight like basically Zankiev is always this, was it those episodes where we uh, the, the pride episodes where we came up with the uh, the idea of MMA Gegenpressen like it was like Zankiev is always closing the distance on Anjo uh, and there's there's a really funny moment where Anjo tries to uh, tries to close the distance himself and Zankiev just pushes him over like Paolo Di Canio to a referee Brilliant. It's just the lack of was it was referee Paul Durkin, was it? Uh Paul Paul Alcock, I believe. Oh Paul Alcock, that's it. Alcock, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He is uh yeah, yeah. Alcock and no trousers. <laughs> so um nominative determinism for a ref. Um so there is a little bit of uh, grappling and uh uh, Anjo gets Zangief in an armbar. Zangief flips his way out, which is always great, and uh, gets a oh, big no. top deserved replay. We, we we need to big this up more than that, yeah. right? Holy fucking shit. That Zangief pop-up, right, that escape from that hold is as good as any Joshi fucking, like, bridge kick-out. It's up there, right? The only thing I had to compare that to, because my mouth was on the fucking floor when I saw this. It, it was amazed me at the, the athleticism, the speed of it, the snap of it, right? Um, the only thing I could actually compare it to, other than than, than those famous Joshi like bridge up kickouts, is um, have you got are you guys familiar with the world of sport uh, worker Alan Sargent at all? Oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen his famous? Um, well, I say famous, famous to like lads on the internet with Doritos like uh, dust stained keyboards, but like you know, um, have you ever seen his escape from a Boston crab? 
Oh, I think I have. Yeah, yeah. Because there's not it's many like, Alan Sargent matches. No, there's only about four or five that ever made tape. Yeah. But um, it's it's got to be seen to be believed. It's genuine circus escapology, Harry Houdini stuff. But honestly, this is as good as that. It was just incredible uh, stuff. I thought that was a brilliant spot. Yeah, it's 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 so good. Like the athleticism of the bloke is just. Um, I mean, this is the thing. Like uh, as you said, like the the footage of Hashmikov doing his doing his axe kicks backstage, but like he never showed those off in a match. Where Zangiev, like he just runs the full gamut of all the of the mad shit that he's able to do. Also, Andrew has a little tantrum after Zangiev escapes the hold, which is extremely good. Yeah. I, I am convinced that we will have a wrestler outed as a pure Puri podcast fan when they nick this in like the next six months because they've listened to us and when we watched it and they nick it my initial thought is Daniel Maccabee Daniel Maccabee seems I, I was just going to say Maccabee if yeah, you're listening he, that, that's, your, that's your homework please please do that for us we, will, yeah, we, will love, yeah, we already love you forever but we'll love you even more absolutely um, Daniel Maccabee if you if you put this in then God no I'll send I'll send you a signed photo as well. <laughs> <laughs> also also completely PG. Um the uh I, I think like another Daniel, uh, Daniel Garcia might be a good shout because like oh. I, there was absolutely no previous listen to the podcast, or indeed that many people listen to this podcast at all. But like he is a confirmed uh, Gatto Move fan. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's he's Great. Uh, and thinks that Saki Kashima is mad overrated. Uh, sorry, mad underrated even. So um, Well, that, that's pretty good because yeah. he, he may well have had the, the very best independent wrestling match in America this year. So, yeah, that's, so that's fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Um, he, so yeah he's great, by the way. Sorry, a non a, a non and a non-Puro related thing, just yes, Daniel Garcia is fantastic and one of the most improved wrestlers. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know. I don't know why you're apologising for talking about non-Puro related yeah. things, considering the like, gestures at like 75% of this podcast. Well, I, I was going to say, I've just looked at my notes for the rest of this match, and there's virtually nothing about the actual match itself, and the rest of it is all just about what they're wearing or comparing them to various different animals in different contexts. So we'll come <laughs> on to that. Unfortunately, um, with Daniel Garcia's match, if it wasn't against Stinger Goldberg, I probably haven't watched it. So you know, <laughs> fix that, David, Daniel. It'll be, it'll be even it'll be even worse when I tell you this that it's an hour long. Oh Jesus, that's like twenty <laughs> Goldberg match. It's it's really I'm, really good though. I mean, Dan, Daniel Daniel Garcia was in a segment with Sting uh, on uh, on AW Rampage. Uh, the, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the I'm sold. So they, yeah. so there you go. There's, there's incentive enough. Um, the I, I love just Anjo's because um, like even even when he's doing well in a match, he's sort of failing at something. Like he he tries a guillotine, which is uh, easily blocked by Zangief, and then Anjo loses a point for holding onto the ropes, which I, which is just it's a great great moment of pathos. And um, it's just classic Anjo. Yeah, and uh, Zang, Zangief counters a high kick in what looks like um, some sort of modified bow and arrow log. Like I, I, I swear that Zangief has just not seen pro wrestling. He's just coming up with this shit like independently, and oh, just it's like all those old luchadors who like can't really do the high flying anymore. So they they just stretch each other in into like you know horribly contorted holds, and they just do that for uh, do that for ten minutes. Um, and, and then they uh, and, all get on my match of the year list at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it's uh, and uh, I think I've written the phrase horrendous german in uh, in every single one of these uh, rundowns but there is a uh, horrendous german from zangiev and a third rope break for uh, for yoji and then and then we get he leaves poss- the ring he, he does leaves yeah. the ring. i'm like jesus yoji i mean it's 
yeah, like every time we put a match of his on, I'm like, maybe this is the one that won't make me feel sad. Maybe this is the one that will re reaffirm that Yoji Andrew actually was quite good. But no, the the conspiracy grows every time we watch him, and that he he has like he has lived a miserable existence. One one of these days we'll find a match where it makes me happy for him. But it's just it's Kafka esque. Yeah. Just how unremittingly bleak every match we watch of it is. is. And the thing is about it is that you reminded me there, David, of him. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but way back in the mists of time, uh, uh, listeners will have been introduced to uh, my um, adolescent uh, wrestling uh, uh, fandom where I would um, uh, hang out at a, a, a wrestling shop in uh, a, a commercial <laughs> oh, yes. arcade in Manchester called Extreme Central, where I'd buy old like, bootleg ECW tapes, uh, bootleg Japan stuff and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, the, uh, the guy that ran that, uh, that place, Mike Huff, he had a, a theory at the time uh, about why certain people were still getting jobs in wrestling, uh, including uh, the, uh, the, the, the dearly departed Ray Trainer, the big boss man. Who yeah. was, um, uh, uh, you know, in his um, uh, WF Attitude era run at the time? And Mike would never expand on this much further. He would just, in a quite sinister way, looking off into the middle distance, tapping his nose, say, "All I think is that he knows something." <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that, you know, maybe that's the story of of of, of, of Anjo. It's like he knows something, uh, so he has to sort of be uh, be be put through this uh, horrendous uh, uh, career of, uh, of humiliation, including, by the way, can we just talk about this? The zebra print pants. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's, let's have a, cause I, I did, I did mention them briefly earlier, but. Uh... Yeah. I mean, before <laughs> we get on to sort of the, the finish, the, the zebra king pants. I mean, I mean, come on. look, right. Like, the only way that you could talk, that you could make, you know, Yoji Anjo feel more spiritually and physically cooked. Right. <laughs> than he would anyway is if you turn him out in zebra leggings okay because like the rhetoric says bushido warrior the gunk screams sam fox in a body stocking right <laughs> they are very early you know. morning pilates session down down at the pure gym yeah. i mean you know you can't you, 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 it, it, it's the killer bees it's like you know you can't take this i'll tell you what it is it's those it's the those trousers the undertaker wore in the uh the kurt angle match Oh, God. <laughs> I'm oh, sure no. we all know the ones. Oh, no. Oh, it, they're really bad. It'd be great if he was, like, in a tag team in like, the NWA in like, 1984. Oh, and yeah. Beating the Italian Stallion, but he's not. and it's like Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just uh, a replacement for Ricky Morton when he's, uh, like, uh, you know, on a sabbatical or something. Yeah, you know? yeah brilliant. Or, or, or uh, he, was a, he was in a trio where, like, one of them had leopard print trousers and he had zebra and then, like, one had, yeah, giraffe or tiger. Or and they're like, called, uh, like, the Ark. Or yeah, 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 yeah. You see, that would yeah. be the uh, human zoo. <laughs> yeah. that, that that would be great, but unfortunately, he's here in a shoot style promotion wearing the zebra pants. But um, having said all that, though, having said that, about, yeah, let's talk about the finish, shall we? Yeah. So, oh boy, oh boy. I'll see Ronnie Radford's <laughs> leatherheads, Chesterfield Glass. in '97. Z- Zang Zangiev and Andrew yeah. tries a number of holds in succession before tapping Zangiev out with a front-to-face lock. I've just got re- written here, Topes win! Topes win! Yeah. Dick off again! <laughs> Is this the first time we've actually reviewed a match where Yojanjo won? Uh, I think so. Even, I think even in the one where they get mummified in packaging tape, I don't think he won it. <laughs> he did um, not. 
if if this was a, a football game, if this was an international football game, right, and your yeah, Victor Zangief was a country, the next hour after this match would be dedicated to the question going, is this the worst result in Victor Zangief's international football history? This is this is big Kazakhstan free Scotland nil energy to this. It's Roy Hodgson after the Iceland game. It really, it really is. It is like Christ, like. I couldn't believe it. I was like, it's a, the words post mortem um, and, and oh. de- it would be used to, after this. You know, the, the, the inquest begins and Victor Zangief. We need to get down to, we need to get more grassroots level for I mean, Victor can, Zangief, more base, training skills. Yeah. We need to be looking at Germany. We need to be looking at Germany and Holland and, you know, <laughs> taking from them. <laughs> Incredible. Like you could definitely base an entire season of Silent Witness on the investigation for this, to be honest. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it's just so. I, but I was, I, I'll be honest. I am. Um, I, I don't think I've seen this match before, so I was um, shocked uh, at the end because obviously in our in our canon, in the PPP uh, uh, extended universe, you know, <laughs> Anjo is is quite simply the butt of every joke. Like you know, and uh, I, I, I had not actually prepared myself for having to talk about, uh, you know, like you said, George, uh, Angel, Angel, Angel wins the game. Angel wins. Like, I just couldn't yeah. like get my head around it. It's 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 I yeah I I because I, I had watched this match before but like years ago when I was first on I first discovered all all these old Bushido episodes on on YouTube and was just making my way through them and um I, but I I it did not even occur to me that Anjo had won this match because it was like fuck it's like it's Victor Zangiev yeah. you know like it's uh it's the man it's the guy the the Street Fighter character was named well, after exactly. and. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had last seen Yoji Anjo getting uh, getting royally murked by one of the many Gracie Failsons. So, um, like this 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 blew me away. Um, as far as the as far as the match goes, it's kind of it's it's relatively insubstantial. Like it's it's not like it's not amazing. It's kind of like seeing Zangief do Zangief stuff is uh, is very fun. But like I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put this up there with either of the uh, Zangief matches that we reviewed on the last episode, like the one against Sawyer. No. And the one against uh, Hashimoto, but uh, just to see Yoji Anjo win uh, brought a tear to my eye and a song to my heart. It's very much coasting on the name, isn't it? Yoji Anjo versus uh, Victor Zangief. It's basically it's the two sums coming together. It's not necessarily it's a great match, but you're going to watch it anyway, regardless of how good it is. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It is the Triple P derby, and yeah. uh, and for that okay. reason, I think it's uh, extremely appropriate that we should uh, close out the episode with a look at that. We've got some very interesting stuff lined up for the next episode. Um, I haven't actually, um, we haven't actually really decided um, which matches we're going to do, but uh, we've, we've, we've just, we've decided on the theme, uh, which is going to be basically we're moving outside of the, the Red Bull army now, and we're going to be looking at uh, other wrestlers from former soviet republics and they are very much former soviet republics at this stage in history basically i'm going to be honest most of this is going to be rings uh but we have not talked about rings before so Excellent. i'm i'm absolutely <laughs> this i'm talking I'm, Volkan, so excited. I'm talking andrey kopolov mikhail oh. Lindin, tario bitsadze um my 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 friend jose um 
uh, tells me that in his opinion, Gromzaza was the worst of all the of the uh, shooters they brought over from the former Soviet Union. So as you can imagine, I'm immensely looking forward to watching him. And there's also the guy's name I can never remember, the one who was in FMW. Grigory Verichev. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So we'll uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about him as well. But it is mostly going to be uh, Fighting Network rings, and uh, which is something we've not something we've not talked about before on the podcast. But um, there's there's this really rich vein that they tapped in terms of bringing in like judo sambo masters uh from the former soviet republics and uh so episode is provisionally titled the maltese volcan and uh we <laughs> are really looking forward to uh bringing it bringing it to your ears i um, i genuinely want to make a, a revive my e-fed just to make a gimmick of a guy from malta who is called the maltese volcan <laughs> i just have him wrestle the insane sambo ring matches <laughs> Old Japan Pro Wrestling's uh, Gianni Valletta. You can uh, the only, literally the only one on wrestler. the plane. <laughs> so I I believe that's it as far as our as uh, episode twenty five, our quarter century goes, our silver jubilee. Um, uh, plugs time, guys. What do you got? Um, so I run a party festival podcast called Draw is a Draw. Um, we do lots of strange things. We do our weekly analysis. Um, and. I, again, similar to drunk fiscal fans coming up to me saying, uh, "Are you the proof podcast?" Uh, they then also tell me how how much fun it is listening to it. I've I specifically spent a lot of time doing stuff that is not necessarily orientated towards fiscal fans. So we've got lots of insane ideas. Usually, I'll just say to Matt, "Hey Matt, I've got this idea for a thing. I don't know how to do it. It'll take me eight weeks, and I'll hate every minute of it. Are you happy for me to just do that and leave you? Um, you, you don't need to do anything for it." He's like, "That's fine." And then eight weeks later, I pull out something out of Mars. Uh, we did a an episode on our fantastic five 0 win over Falkirk to win the League One title, and everyone was locked out of the stadium. So lots of talking heads from in and out outside the stadium and lots of voice uh, audio clips of the night and stuff like that and uh, very much a sound collage of a chronology of the night um, so I definitely recommend that we're doing lots of other um, we're taking barbershop in new strange places um, <laughs> I'm determined not to make it just another club podcast uh, we are we're doing sort of things to appeal to people who don't give a fuck about the club actually just this week we got Mary Black on uh, the SNP MP and one of my political heroes it was quite wild we had a great time talking about, you know, how she became a Fistle fan, her favourite memories, as well as politics, um, wild stuff in Parliament about how, you know, they have a hawk in Parliament and stuff like that. And um, as well as that, we asked her stuff like, you know, her favourite Greg's order and whether maths is still shite. Um, I definitely recommend it if you are into the independence movement or just want to hear somebody talk about their... Uh, Pro Evo 6 um, created team with the immortal player Wee Stewart. Um, but yeah, I would definitely suggest that it's out at the moment. Um, and yeah, so uh, at Draw is a Draw on all the platforms. Uh, definitely give it a ch- uh, check out if you have an interest in Scottish football. And um, fastbook.bandcamp.com uh, got some uh, music on there. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Daniel? Uh, yeah, like uh, so, you can get me on Twitter at Hanloom Lament, um, and uh, yeah, um, I'm working on a few pieces of writing that will possibly be published by the time uh, this this podcast comes out. I don't know. Um, I've got a review of uh, Peter Mitchell's um, uh, book Imperial Nostalgia, which is very good. Uh, that's recently come out. Um, that will be appearing in hopefully a 
fairly well-renowned political magazine online publication at some point. Can't say any more than that at the moment because it might not still. uh, But yeah, if not, I'll publish it elsewhere. Um, And uh, then I'm I'm still working on a a book chapter about um, uh, Fugazi uh, for um, a a book that's coming out um, uh, in the next year or so. Um, And you can keep up to date with that if you go on my Twitter and I'll, I'll let you know where I'm up to with that um uh also got an article uh possible article in the works for lit hub around um ernie o'malley the um uh irish war of independence um ira commander who then went on to be a eminent art collector and diarist um so yeah keep up to date um i'll let you know whether where, where those things are being published and when if you just look up at my twitter um outside of that you can um, hear me on repeat radio um, 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 sometime over the next month where I will be um, uh, doing uh, my Handling Lament radio show, having moved over from the Neon Hospice as part of that migration. So keep an eye out for that. And finally, um, you can download my music if you would like, and that will help me to, uh, you know, live and eat. Uh, you can <laughs> do that by, um, by going to handlinglament.bandcamp.com. Um, and I think that's pretty. Oh, also, if you're interested in the history of Irish republicanism, then you can check out echoandthunder.wordpress.com where I blog about that. I think that's everything. OK, fantastic. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Poa Podcast and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher Radio. So do like and subscribe on that. Uh, as far as um, things I have to plug, uh, I shall start with uh, the novel The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan, which you can buy on uh, Amazon for £12.99 for a paperback and £2.49 for the Kindle version. It is a novel set in the late 50s and early 60s around the world of Japanese professional wrestling concerning the first big wrestling star in the country's history, Ricky Dozan, and about all the dodgy stuff he may or may not have been involved in. Uh, and pe- people people who seem to like it, you... Uh, I've got nothing but five-star reviews on the platform, actually, which is uh, qu- uh, quite, quite nice. Uh, Half of them seem to be from people who know quite a lot about 1950s wrestling and half of them seem to be from people who know fuck all about wrestling of any kind. And both of those groups seem to have liked it, which is which is good because I, I wrote the that's, novel. That's so, so, exactly so what you want, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there was one guy saying that uh, they were glad I uh, I didn't seem to take uh, any historical liberties, and I was thinking, oh, cheers, uh, I fucking did. <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, yeah, so you can thank you for not making fun of my genitalia. I, I did. <laughs> so so yeah, if you um, if you want a uh, want a good read, uh, people have told me it's very readable as well, and you can kind of bash through it, even though it is, as our friend Pat Reed put it, a big chunky boy. You can also read uh, a thousand odd words of my writing in a book called 100 Greatest Literary Detectives, which is a compendium of various famous detectives from uh, from crime fiction. Uh, so that's uh, that, that's good. Give that a look if you're uh, at all interested in that sort of thing. Uh, there is also the website. Uh, I maintain the doublefootstompysilly.com where you can read uh, our musings and those of our comrades about various aspects of professional wrestling. My most recent article was um, a look at which Tokyo Joshi wrestlers corresponded to which Euro 2020 teams, uh, which uh, which uh, our friend Luke maddeningly said that I think this is the best thing you've ever written. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, and before that, I did an article on the top 10 towels in professional wrestling. So it's uh, it's all very eclectic and, and a lot of fun. So do check that out. Also, I am on uh, twitch.tv forward slash Lord Tenpai, L-O-R-D-T-E-N-P-A-I. And uh, every Thursday at 8 p.m. British time, I play Mahjong on the internet and uh, just have a have a good time. I sort of 
go through the reasons for the moves I'm I'm making and also talk shit about the Labour right and uh, all that sort of stuff. So if you are a fan of, for instance, Final Fantasy XIV or the Yakuza series and you've, you've been wondering what the fuck this Mahjong thing is and how you win at it and uh, you're interested, then, uh, then you know, subscribe to me on Twitch and uh, tune into the stream. Always uh, happy to have new regulars and it is a lot of fun, as I've said. And I believe that is it from me. So all that remains is to say, um, David, you're on mute, you cunt. Dos <laughs> Thank you very much at the second attempt. All right, see you back for episode 26. God bless. Okay.